Thank you so much for uh, coming and joining us. Gosh, and my pleasure. What's up to the viewers? We are and the listeners. And, and the this listeners. is a podcast yeah, at the end of the both. day. Awesome. So yeah, um, we uh, we normally do a lot of uh, background research, you yeah. know, and make sure we <laughs> <laughs> make sure we send out a discovery form and everything, get all that information. Yeah. We have done none of that prep here, so no. this is going to be no. all spitballing. Let's it's um, off the cuff. We don't need it, man. There's Wikipedia. That's what I said earlier. It's like we oh, don't need boy. a discovery form for Andrew Allen. It's like <laughs> Wikipedia or website. Like there's so much stuff out there. Right? Totally. To- I mean, I mean, like. We know we know as much as we can. I mean, you're a fairly successful artist in the uh, in the music space. Vernon raised, born, yeah, and uh, not born, not Wikipedia born. Actually, may have got that born. wrong. I was born in Victoria. Born uh, in Victoria. That's a fun fact. Uh, so um, I lived in Cornell up until grade three, and then uh, and then I moved to Vernon, and then my family moved away because I think they thought I would never uh, leave the house. So they moved away and I stayed in Vernon. Well, you hear That's that, awesome. Wikipedia's? Uh, make sure you get on there and update that right now before we get on there <laughs> and, uh, and check this out. Uh, I hope I hope we actually just fix that on this podcast. That would be super super amazing. So a movie, yeah. yeah, yeah, that'd be sweet. So Andrew, for the uh, for the like five people uh, in the Okanagan that don't know who you are, oh. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, oh man, start us off a little. Origin story, if you will. Little origin story. You mean like career-wise or you mean like just life? Dude, who you were. Who you were and where where you actually came from. We want to try and show everybody, you know, where big people come from. Uh, Wow. Big people, small people, exactly where they come from. So, you know, what you were like in high school, you know, what your childhood was like, things like that, you know. just Is there a difference between Andrew the person versus Andrew the artist? Right. Hey, interesting question. Uh, no, you know, I think, um, so if I, if I think about me as like, uh, a young Andrew, um, I was thinking I was like five years old when I started taking piano lessons. So that's on like the musical drive. So I started taking piano lessons when I was like five, um, probably deviated from the Royal Conservatory far too often for my parents liking. But, uh, I started sort of just writing my own stuff and they were like, we don't really know what's going on. What are you doing? You got to like learn this before you can do that. What was your, sorry to cut in, what was no. your first instrument? I always want to know that. Was that was piano, piano at, was at piano. five? Yeah. Five yeah. years or fi- five? Years old. Five. five years old. Five years yeah. old. Holy yeah. Smokes. So I was kind of doing the piano thing. And yeah. then, um, and then sort of, yeah, I was, I was like a pretty fun loving kid. Um, had huge Coke bottle glasses and um, like a vest sewn to my shirt so I wouldn't lose it. Like very typical, very nerdy child. And uh, yeah, kind of grew up, uh, moved to Vernon, I guess. Yeah. When I was whatever grade three is. I don't know how. I, I actually moved to Vernon when I was in grade three as well. Hey, look at that. Yeah, we should have been buddies then. <laughs> uh, maybe different decades, but oh, yeah. <laughs> he's the youngster in our crew. So, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, then I, I went, you know, high school, I was kind of, I was kind of into band. Like I loved it. So yeah, you're right. As far as musically me and career oriented and, uh, and like personal me, it was kind of the same. Um, I love drama. I love music. I loved um, everything that wasn't academics, even though I was fine with academics. Uh, I just didn't really, I didn't get them. I was like, I don't really know what I'm going to ever use this for. It just didn't make any sense to me. I was like, well, I love music and I'm going to do music. So although I thought, I thought I was going to be a band teacher. That was always my goal until I found out that you could actually play music for a living. And like, <laughs> I was like, that looks way cooler. What age yeah. was that when you found that? Probably out? like grade 10, 11. That's when I started. Really that long. Yeah. Yeah. Holy yeah. yeah. I went yeah. to a, a pawn shop and I saved up all my money and I bought an electric guitar and a little amp that only had distortion. And my parents were like, no, like you play saxophone in band and you That's have the piano thing. at home. Can you just be that? Like, why do you have to switch now to an electric guitar? And I was like, this is, this is way cooler. And they're like, this is not a great, 
This was that in like kind of like when punk rock was like kind of coming yeah. up and everything like that? I would yeah. say so. Yeah. What, what year were we talking here? Oh man, um, I don't know. I'm bad at years. I graduated in '99. So graduated in '99. So a few years before that. Damn, so it was like old. Hey man, I know that's what I was <laughs> going to say. It. I wasn't going to tell you. But I'm yeah. like, if you're sending people to Wikipedia, they're going to find out. <laughs> they'll they'll you know, find out. They'll yeah, it, it find actually out the calculates truth. your age. I know from that too. It's not I just know. like I'm born in this yeah. this year. It's, it's like, like no, it figures it out. Yeah, it's also they're this year old. Do you feel like once you have a Wikipedia article, you just made it? Like that's it. No, I never look at it, so I don't even know like what it says. Man, you got to go home and like Google yourself Dude, like, it's right after this. It's all positive. There's no like you know public scandals in there or anything. Like I don't that. have any public scandals. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't have any private scandals either, <laughs> so I'm, I'm okay. Um, but no, I I think that I I really wanted to play music, and I really loved the creation of music, and I loved what music made other people feel. So as soon as I realized, oh, I can do this, like as a career, then it became just sort of like all, all guns facing that way. And it was just bands. So I just was in a band and I loved Weezer and Green Day and Blink-182 and all kind of those, you know, the sort of like pop punk bands. Yeah. So I'm sure that there's recordings of me singing with a British accent, which I don't have. <laughs> and it was super stupid. But uh, do you still have some of that? Like, I'd love to see some of that uh, older footage. Like, I'll your probably parents never must have find some it. locked up in like VHS or something probably, like that. Probably, right? probably. Oh man, <laughs> well, that was like Green Day pre-American Idiots. Oh yeah, like, it was like Duke huge, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, man, there was some good, best Green Day was pre-American oh, yeah. Idiot. That's that's awesome. It totally it came from the right Green Day generation. That's so, right. Yeah, that's right. And so uh, yeah, I was kind of like doing the band thing. Um, had a band through high school, and then some of the guys went off to college, and then. Um, started a band with some of the other guys that from other schools that had not gone to college either. And then we started a band and then that band kind of fell apart. And then we had another band and then that band kind of fell apart and we toured a bit. And then finally, um, well, not finally, I guess in the midst of all that, I was working at a bunch of different restaurants in town and stuff. And then I met my wife, Julia. Uh, we dated for about eight months. I proposed, we were married by 10 months. And then we just sort of started this other complete journey where we moved to Vancouver so that she could go to school and uh, from there, we got broke, as most people do when they go to Vancouver. Uh, yeah, in there, yeah. <laughs> and then, That's so we, uh, Vernon, like. <laughs> amen. Yep. So then we went, uh, we went and worked on cruise ships for a year. And That's we were, cool. I did nothing to do with music. That's not why I got hired. We were literally social hosts where I called bingo for a living. It was bizarre. <laughs> and uh, we did that for a while and then came back and I got a job at a church locally here in Vernon. And through that process, I think, you know, Julia was like, Hey, you know, like, what do you really, really want to do? And I was like, I, I just want to play music. And at the same time, this amazing touring artist had been coming through and he's like, you should come on tour with me. And I was like, I don't have a band. Cause I always had a band. Yeah. And he's like, you don't need a band. What just come name? out with me. Matt Epp. Matt Epp. Matt Epp, Winnipeg folk artist. Okay. Uh, we just had him through, uh, at my annual Christmas show here in Vernon. He opened for me here. Awesome. And uh, he's awesome, a trip. Man. He's so good. How cool is that? The guy that kind of like, is he the kind of guy that put you on or what? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How cool is that to have him like back in here? It was wicked. Yeah. It was wicked. Then we hosted him at our house for like a house concert Sweet. and invited a bunch of neighbors and friends That's and stuff. Awesome. And it, was, it was a special night. So he, um, yeah, he kind of encouraged me to like get out of there on the road with him. And I was like, well, I'm going to need a CD. So I bought a MacBook and it was back when it was like just the thick white ones. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I'm going to get myself a MacBook and like Garage some sort band. of recording. Exactly. <laughs> and I recorded my first album on GarageBand all by myself. I had no idea how to do it. I wrote a whole bunch of songs, recorded them all. And then I, I got them all pressed and I had like a thousand CDs and I went out on the road with this guy for like two weeks, just BC and Alberta. And from that point, I was like, I, whatever it takes, we just got to do this. And Did any of yeah. those songs make it? 
those um, first ones. There was one song on there called My Love that um, I ended up re-recording on an EP later on, like recording it properly. And, and it was a song that I think resonated with people. It was never a song that I released to radio or anything, but it was a song that, yeah, definitely. But you ended up re-recording. Yeah. When did you first start making money with music? Ah, oh, that's a great question. Um, hard to say because when I, f when I first jumped into music, um, w we basically had sold everything. Like, so we had like nothing. And we had a minivan with like a Thule on the top that carried a bunch of camping stuff. So when we toured, if like, you know, if we we're in Saskatchewan, we don't know anybody and we didn't have money for a hotel and I'm playing like this sort of random bar gig and I'm getting like a hundred bucks, then it's like, I guess Just we're to camping. to the next Do you song. remember your first like first gig where you made money, whether it was like your high school band guys or like oh, the college man. band guys or what? Yeah. I mean, back like when, when I graduated, we, you know, we toured a bit and we made money. Like we didn't make... I wouldn't say that we made enough. Like, I don't think we ever took the money home with us. Like we never like pocketed any of it. We just kept reinvesting it into the band. Uh, because I mean, we had like, as a band, we had like a mini school bus and the thing costs a fortune on gas and, but we could all sleep in it. And so like, and it held all of our gear. And so it was like our sort of where we lived. And so anytime that if we made 500 bucks, but we had driven to Kimberly to make That's that 500 gas. bucks, it was probably 250 in gas and then you know that's food eating and, to your profits oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not really making anything were you was it ever a moment where like you finally got you the first time you got money like one of the nostalgic things i would compare it to is like the first time an entrepreneur makes like some sort of money some sort of profit like whether right. it was like three dollars or anything like that do you remember that moment where you're like holy shit like i can actually like live off this man you know that's an interesting question um maybe uh i feel like I feel like probably for me, the first time that I sold a CD to somebody that wasn't a family member or a friend, like from the right. stage where somebody heard me perform and then they said, wow, I, I want that. And then they came to get it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But for me, my qualifiers were always interesting because like I was living, like Julie and I were living on her parents' floor, like essentially. So if, if we were making money, our living situation was still this. So it was like, well... I feel like we need to make a fair bit more in order to improve like our yeah, yeah. overall life. And then I feel like we're going to feel like we're making money. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of easy to make money when you have no bills. <laughs> it's a That's lot harder true. to make money totally. when you have bills. So I think um, I did a couple of tours to the UK and that paid for itself. And so there I was like, whoa, like I'm able to go and tour the UK and like not have to pay for anything. Like all the money I was making was paying for being there and covered my flight and everything. Like I was not in debt for any of it. I was like, this is amazing. And I then can the, do the, this for a living. <laughs> yeah. And then like a bunch of the first tours, it's like we were really like fiscally responsible and we, you know, kept money aside and, and, you know, did the right things with it so that we were able to be like, oh my gosh, we're actually like, we're, we're coming out positive. We're not losing money. Were you single or in a band at this point? Single as a solo artist. As a yeah. solo artist. Yeah. And when so. you were in the band, were you uh, like a guitarist or were you the singer? I was the lead singer in two, two of them. Yep. Two of the bands, maybe three. Um, and then one of the bands, I wasn't the lead singer. Always uh, liked singing, like even from the piano oh, days or what? Yeah, I wasn't good at it. Like I just, really? I just loved doing it. And it was just like, I was always like, if you listen to early choir recordings when I was in high school, it's like, I fully stood out. Like I had to like this annoying voice. Is that, <laughs> is that like post puberty or what I are we know, talking? Here? Just, just not really understanding. Like I would work on the guitar or the piano and I just never really worked on refining what my vocal tone was supposed to be. I didn't really know how. Yeah. And so I think eventually I developed that skill and realized like oh, okay wait if i don't just like yell 
then it probably will sound better. You did, you do, did you ever yeah. do any classes or courses with like instructors or anything? I did actually. Yeah. Uh, Benny Ann Northup, she's here in town. I went to her, but I didn't go to her for um, the reason of like defining my vocal tone. I went to her because I was like, every time I sing, my my, my voice hurts. <laughs> and I feel like <laughs> I'm not going to have a very long career. Right. So going to her, she helped um, sort of help me realize what breathing techniques I should be using and how better to sort of compose myself and better healthy techniques going into singing and coming out of singing and, and really help put me on the proper path so that I wouldn't lose my voice every time I go out. So you mean there is a way to actually sing karaoke all night and not wake up the next morning, like sounding like Brian Adams? Well, like... I mean, <laughs> maybe it kind of depends. Karaoke usually goes hand in hand with other things. <laughs> so I feel like <laughs> those are the things. I've never I'm like, karaoke sober, so I just yeah. like, I always wonder because I'm like, I have these moments where I'm like, I'll sing karaoke. You do like three songs or whatever, and then yeah. your voice is gone. You're like, yeah. I have a new respect for artists that can do a show and then go on the next morning, the next yeah, day, and totally. do another show. I'm like, how do you do that? But I'm if like, you went to like the gym and you're like, oh man, I'm gonna do like three hours worth of chin ups, true, then That's your true. arms would just like fall off, and the next day you'd be like, I'm so sore. But yeah, if the you next like, like four days, you're yeah. not doing anything. More yeah. hammering, but if you work hammering at your craft, it. yeah, yeah, it's a muscle. It's all the same things. You just got to like work at it, feel, yeah. you know, realize how to push air through it without actually like tensing it all. So you're saying I should sing karaoke every night. That's what I'm saying. Okay. I'm, sub- I'm definitely encouraging Perfect. this. Yeah. We're going <laughs> to get the old school like rock band going yeah, or we're something. Gonna, we're going to do some karaoke training yeah, every night. Yeah. All right. I like this. <laughs> I want to switch gears a little bit. Yeah. So um, I know you, you know, not a fan of years, you know, maybe don't know the exact moments. A lot of these happen, the exact yeah. years, but a lot of people you know, catapult uh, a music career, figure out like, hey, I actually want to do this as a living. Yeah. Um, you know, whether or not they only last a few years, but once that kind of moment happens, sometimes it's like a form of rebellion ah. against, you know, sort of an establishment where it's like, well, no, like I don't want to make money going to college and doing this or doing that. Um, it's more like, no, you know, kind of yeah. screw the system. I'm going to yeah. do it my way. Right. Um, did you have a moment like that? And and if so, or even if not, like when was that moment where you're like, Hey, I actually want to do this. And, and I just, yeah. I don't want to go this other path. I think the thing for me wasn't that I wanted to like, like I didn't ever have that, like, I'm going to screw the system and show them what I made. Didn't of. have that phase. Nah, angsty phase. Not really. Like yeah. I, I just, like even when I was in high school, it's like I would learn Disney songs so that I could play them on pianos at parties and then so people would sing along because it was so funny to be like everybody knew all the words to Aladdin songs and stuff. Right. And it was like yeah. super cheesy but hilarious if you're at a party and all of a sudden, you know, like somebody breaks out like, I can show you the world. And everybody's <laughs> like, oh. And you got all these people that are singing back and forth. And it's like funny. And so I just, I love the entertainment side of it. Right. The, the place where probably the rebellion happened, which to a lot of people probably looked crazy was that my, my gig at the church was good and it paid well and it was like pretty solid and I probably could have stayed in it for years. And Julia was working a car insurance job. It was good. Probably could have done that for years. And instead we were like, we're not satisfied with the life that we're leading. And so as much as it was music, it was also that we wanted to just like lead a different kind of life. We wanted to like meet people where they were at, try and find like, like energy and excitement and love outside of sort of the walls that we were used to. And the only way we knew how to do it was through the vehicle of music. And so 
I was able to book shows all the way across Canada multiple times and then to the UK and back multiple times and connect with people that we didn't know. And it was in that process that I think a lot of our family and friends probably looked at us like, you guys are nuts. Like you, you should be saving for retirement. You should be looking at what your future career path is going to be. And I think in those moments we were so naive, but also so happy in like just this freedom of nothingness. And like the excitement of meeting these new people and having these engaged conversations and, and some of our best friends are still, you know, all over the world because of these sort of random engagements that we had. And then during that, I ended up writing a few songs that ended up doing very well, which then sort of changed the whole, like shifted the whole thing for us where we're like, whoa, this is actually an industry that you can like really survive off of. We don't have to just look at like staying on people's porches in our tent. We can actually like potentially make a living out of doing this. If we start to play the game a little less like hippie, like let's just get on the road and meet people, love and peace and sort of focus a little more on like, Hey, you actually know how to write songs (laughs) and maybe we should focus a little more energy on that. See what it takes to um, get those songs out to a a larger demographic of people Um, invest more in with the hopeful return of more coming back. And that's kind of, that's where, that's where that shift kind of took place. But the original question, no, I don't think I was ever like, I'm gonna show them. Yeah. Yeah. But but, you still, it sort of is a form of rebellion in its own kind of like, you know, less like, I don't know, less, uh, rah, rah, rah type of way. Right. Yeah. It was to, it was to try and demonstrate a different form of life. I read a book called the irresistible revolution by a guy named Shane Claiborne. And it was a fascinating book because this guy goes off to like India and worked with Mother Teresa. And then he went off to Iraq and like in the middle of like the really hot political, I mean, it's still pretty hot over there. And he went over there to basically be like, hey, I'm an American and I just want to say, we don't hate you. Like there's some things that are going on, but I'm, and his his mom was like, you're crazy. What are you doing? And it was this alternative sort of lifestyle, but he was pointing out, it was like, well, what's better that like I, you know, spend my time and my energy now on investing in great people versus these people who are spending their time just glomming onto money and closing their doors off because now they have things to protect and they won't invite homeless people in. And so, you know what I mean? Like you're missing out on all of this life because you're so busy hoarding it. And so it was that inspired us to kind of get out there and do something different with the hope that maybe we would inspire other people. So as much as, yeah, maybe it was a little bit of like a screw this like idea, but it was in a less, we're going this way. It just was in a less like in your face kind of way. Oh, I, I so, see it. I see it more like though the way of there. There's a set picture that society and your parents yeah. or whatever it is, and the people around you, your family, want you to follow yeah. what they think will make you happy, what they think your That's life right. should look like. And you guys, it wasn't necessarily a rebellion. It was like, no, no, we know what will make us happy, and this will make us happy. Yeah, or and we then you want to figure it out. We want to see if this will make what us you, happy. What you, what you said was like, you didn't know if it was going to work or anything right. like that. You just knew that it made you happy every day. And I think that's yeah. a big takeaway because I think if we just – like you said, forget about the the hoarding aspect yeah. of, of money, material things or whatever it is, to, whether it's to patch our insecurities because we think yeah. it's going to make us happy. You put happiness on a pedestal, you can be happy living in your van. That's right. It was awesome. I remember making macaroni in like a, a tea kettle because we didn't have a pot. We just made it in a tea. It was awesome. It was so I much fun. This. And I, I should, I should so qualify much. the fact that like, I know I said like, you know, family and friends probably thought we were crazy, but they also really supported us. My parents were very supportive. Uh, Julia's parents were very huge. supportive. They were like, 
this is what you guys are doing. Like high five, go for it. And they, yeah. you know, they all had helped invest in my first EP. They've always been supportive. So I don't want to be like, we showed that. Yeah, of course. No, no. And, and, and yeah, I agree. I don't think, I don't think that was the way I think it was just like, yeah. and I think it's so great to to have a, a family support system right. like that mm-hmm. friends or whatever it is just right. around you. Yeah. I mean, if you don't, you don't, but at least, at yeah. least you had that, right? Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. Exactly. So with, um, you said you kind of went away from the, uh, you know, the path of, Hey, we're going to do music, but yeah. we're, you know, we're just going to jump in the van mm-hmm. and kind of do it the whole hippy dippy way where it's like, yeah. no, we're going to play music. And that, that's really the only goal. Yeah. Um, what were some of the steps that you took to actually make it into a business or at least move it, you know, in that kind of direction? So I had written a song called not loving you. Um, when we were, it was actually when I was recording the first EP and we were kind of getting ready to quit our jobs and stuff. And I was just very like focused on the music side of it. And the song came from a place of being like, I'm very busy and I'm spending all my time doing this instead of loving you. And I need to like kind of find this balance. And that song was one of the first ones that we put on the correctly produced EP, not the one that I did independently. What is an EP? Uh, it's usually like five songs. It's a weird thing because it's like- What does it stand for? Extended play from the old record. So it used to be like a record was like a single. Okay. And then you'd have the extended play, which was an EP. And then you have the LP, which was the long play. Which is weird because the EP, like extended play, it's only five songs and like it's not, that's not that long. Well, and a lot of like electronic artists still release like their EPs, even though there's like no record involved. Yeah. It's like, it's It's just like like four or five songs, usually something like that. Yeah. It's like a weird term. Um, For me, it was, it was a cost thing too, because we decided that I had a few songs that I felt like were strong enough to record. And so we hired a producer named Jeff Dawson. He had done Daniel Powder's Bad Day. He had done like State of Shocks, Money Honey, like a bunch of big records at the time. And I was like, okay, we're going to use this guy because I feel like if we use him, this will be great. But he was like $5,000 a song plus studio time. Wow. So I was like, oh my gosh, like if we do five songs with studio time included, it's like $30,000. This is us living in a van that cost me $3,500. And so I was like, how are we supposed to? You can't even we're, just like sell the van. I know. I'm like, that's not yeah. even going to pay for one song. So what are we supposed to do? So we had like, we just kind of put it out there and we had a bunch of friends and family that all kind of said like, here's a loan or here's a gift or here's a whatever. Like we think, we believe in you. We think you can do this. And I was like, oh my goodness. So took it to him, went into the studio, recorded these songs. And through that, it, you know, when you're young and you're putting out something brand new, you're just fired up. You're like, everybody needs to hear this and everybody will want to. And so you don't stop at anything. You're just like, you push down every door. And so we were heading out to Toronto and I was playing two house concerts, one in Waterloo and one in like Toronto proper. And then that was say like a Friday, Saturday. And then on the Tuesday night, I had my first official show in Toronto at a place called the bread and circus that I booked myself. And the owner was like, you know, you, you got to bring out this many people or else like you're not getting anything and you're probably not gonna make any money anyway. Cause nobody's ever heard of you. I'm like, okay, cool. This is great. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Julia was like, we should call, uh, EMI records and see if somebody wants to come out. Like we'll just call all the record labels. And I'm like, what? They've never even heard of me. Like, that's crazy. So we made a few calls and left messages and sent emails, whatever. And then I hit up all the people that had come to the house concerts. And I said, look, this is a really important show. If you can come on Tuesday night, that'd be great. So my first ever Toronto showcase, there was like a hundred people there because all these house concert people had come to like to show support. And then this guy, Fraser Hill from EMI at the time, he showed up and he comes in. He's like, what? the heck is going on here? And it was like house concerts are all ages, right? So I had people that were, you know, 19 years old in this place and then like 60. 
And he's like, <laughs> he's in this room going, what is happening? Why are there a hundred people in here on a Tuesday night watching this guy that nobody's heard of? This makes zero sense to me. So afterwards he said, Hey, you got a second? Like, let's, let's have a little chat. And so I was like, okay. So I went over and chatted to him and he literally was like, okay, I see like what you're doing. I liked what you did. I, I liked the performance, but you know, if you're getting into the pop music industry, all I can say is get in line. There's a million people and I don't really know what stands out about you. So there's that. I'm like, well, that was kind <laughs> <Blunt>. of discouraging, <laughs> but Damn. I was like, okay, whatever. So I was like, well, you know, it's, I appreciate the insight and like, thanks for being part of this, I guess. And thanks for coming out. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Anyways, you know, keep in touch, send me some stuff whenever you write more stuff. I'm like, okay. So he that leaves. was that, hey? Well, that was that, except for then the next morning he calls and he leaves a message. He goes, I'm not a very happy person on a regular basis. And I woke up this morning feeling happy. And I think it's because of something that was in your music. And so I think you need to come in and talk to my boss. And I was like, okay. So we were actually supposed to go to Canada's Wonderland that day. And I ended up dropping the drummer and the bass player off. And then I went to EMI to go meet the, these two guys. So Dean, the head of EMI, um, he's like, yeah, Fraser says, you know, your stuff's really upbeat and positive. I listen to it. There's really nothing that special about your voice. But um, I, I think that they're, you know, we could. They're like super blunt. Oh, eh? super blunt. You're like, oh. They don't give a shit. No, That's not at so all. Funny, I'm just man. like, oh, you guys are cutting me deep here. Why yeah. do you think that is? Do you think they're, they're looking for the next like big thing, like the next Britney Spears or whatever it is? Or why are they so like cutthroat about there's nothing special about your voice kind of thing? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they just want to see like if you have thick skin or I don't know. I really have no idea. It because... could be, that's, that's an interesting point. It could be like kind of like a, a gatekeeper kind yeah. of style thing, right? And it's also like, I got to be honest. I think that it's sometimes in the record industry, it's like there's people that have worked up from a business aspect and they are sort of like, very business, but I don't know how great their ears are, like one side or the other, but they can understand business. They see what's reacting. They can watch analytics. And in my case, nothing was reacting analytically, but it made somebody feel something. And so they couldn't deny what they felt, but they they didn't necessarily just want to give it all to me and be like, you're the next thing. You're amazing. And they all didn't really know what to do with it. It's exactly like, it's like, Oh, I feel this thing, but like, there's yeah. nothing, there's no metric. There's no like logical argument no. to put on top of it. Right. And that's, and that's art though. That's yeah. exactly it. That's tough. Yeah. There's, there's things about creative that you just can't explain. It yeah. just happens. Yeah, yeah. You look at two paintings and they, they look similar, but one makes you feel something and one doesn't. Why? Yeah. Like it doesn't make sense. So, so they said, we think you would benefit from maybe co-writing with somebody else. And I was like, okay, co-writing. That sounds fun. What do I do? And they're like, well, we, we're going to send you to Nashville. And I'm like, okay, that sounds great. That's a place to write songs. And so we all went to Nashville, like um, myself, Julia, and Fraser. And we rock up to like EMI Christian Music Group. And I'm like, whoa, hold on. What is this? And he's like, well, it's not, I mean, it's not really like, I'm like, no, this is like a, this is like EMI Christian Music Group. This is like a Christian record label. Like we didn't talk about this. I don't think I'm really a Christian artist. Like I'm a, I'm a Christian guy, but I'm not, I don't feel like I want to be a Christian artist. Yeah. And he's like, we'll just try the writing. I'm like, <laughs> okay, sure. So my very first writing session was with a guy named Robin Gosh, who was from Calgary of all places. And he, well, through a bunch of different areas, like he was born in India and then lived in Calgary and then moved to Nashville. And the very first song that I ever co-wrote was Loving You Tonight. And so the, really? the two of us wrote that song and I was, I went the back first the song. first song I ever co-wrote. And That's so I went so back to my man. hotel and was like, 
I got on Skype and I said, Julia, this was a great writing session today. All right, because she wasn't at that. Sorry, she came to, to Nashville the first time. And then that was just to have some meetings. The second time was the writing stuff. So she didn't come with no me. Way. So I Skyped her and I was like, you gotta, I just wrote this song with this Robin guy and I think it's really good. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I played it from what I could remember just on Skype. And she's like, that's really good. We should totally hit up you know, that producer back in Vancouver and see if we can get it recorded. And I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. So the other three sessions were terrible. The songs were awful. And I was like, oh, I guess I peaked early. So then <laughs> I went back to uh, went back to Vancouver and I hit up Ryan Stewart, who had uh, he recorded my Christmas single, I Wanna Be Your Christmas, which had already come out by that point. And I said, Hey man, I wrote the song in Nashville, would love to record it with you. And he's like, For sure, let's do it. So we recorded the song. I hired a radio tracker, which is somebody who basically calls all the radio stations in the country, sends your song to them, and then follows up and says, Hey, you're gonna play it, you're gonna play it, you're gonna play it. And so I hired him and this is like, this is all a pretty sizable investment because each of these things costs a lot of money. Oh, totally. And so I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work, but I feel good about this song and I think it's, I think it's a good one. My goodness. So <clears throat> we put it out independently. I booked my own tour across Canada and by the time I got to Ontario, I remember being in Peterborough and I got a call from some random guy at Universal Music Group in New York. And he was like, hey, I, I, I was trying to track down your number. There's this manager that wants to talk to you. And I'm like, what is going on? And my song is doing well. It was like starting to come into the top 10. And I was like, oh, this is exciting. And so the manager then calls me and he says, hey, I, wanna, I, I want your song. And I was like, what do you mean you want my song? He's like, I have an artist. He sold 300,000 copies of his own, sing, like his own song. We need another song for him. I want to see if I can have Loving You Tonight. And I'm like, I knew nothing about publishing at this time. So I was like, no, no, like it's my song. I'm like busting my ass right now to be out on the road to promote this song. You are not having this song. So somebody wants to buy the rights of your song much. so somebody else can play it. That's right. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, no, that's not, I don't. And now I know more of how that works. And if it was a good opportunity, it would be a great opportunity. But I was like, right. I'm, I'm right now I'm being me. And I'm like, nope, this is my song. That's right. This is mine. You just get out of here. And so he goes, well, did he offer you a number? No, because they don't. You don't really buy songs. It doesn't okay. really work like that. It's sort of like if if he if I said yes to letting this other guy cut the song, knowing that he has a really great track record of selling, then I still own the publishing on it. So I co-wrote it. So if he puts it out to radio, oh, you can make I royalties still, if it doesn't. Yeah. Well. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But you wanted to know that it was your song. Yeah. You wrote it. You sung it. You wanted to make sure that it was. That's right. It was you. Yeah. He's like, I could blow this thing up in the U.S. I'm like, then blow it up with me on it. And he's like, No, I, I, uh, do you play? I'm like, Yes, I play. And he's I'm like, the, well, I'm the voice. You, yeah. <laughs> Why do you think like, I'm saying no? I know. Like, and he's like, Well, are you in the neighborhood? I'm like, No. And he's like, Are you? Where are you playing next? I'm like, I'm in Toronto tomorrow night. He's like, Okay, I'm flying up to watch you perform. What's the venue? Can you put me on the guest list and i was like on the guest list it was like <laughs> the free times cafe which is just off the corner oh of kensington God. market it's like 60 people fit in that venue oh, and, and i was like so awesome. to the point that i forgot to charge people tickets like that's how like naive i was to the whole thing so my dad happened to be in toronto at the same time and i said hey listen this manager's coming can you make sure you save him a seat he's like how will i know that it's this manager i'm like he's a fast talker from new york i think you're gonna know yeah so everybody's there it's pretty chill and the opener is on and he's playing and stuff and there's people coming in and they're like, they're like, Oh my gosh, hey, it's great to meet you. We love your song. And I'm like, people are hearing my song. This is crazy. And so all of a sudden this guy walks in, he's got a silver suit on and green Chuck Taylors. Oh and I was like, Oh man. I'm like, come on. We know who this guy is. Like, obviously this is the guy. And so he comes in and he actually sits like beside my dad. And I'm like, this is so weird. Ironic. <laughs> so I play the song and I, I, you know, I play a bunch of stuff. He's like videotaping it. And I'm like, this is so weird. 
Uh, and then we chat a bit afterwards. He takes me out to like a steak restaurant and he's like, you're not vegetarian, are you? And I'm like, yeah, I am. So oh, I was like sh- right out of the gate. I'm like, this is a weird relationship. Oh man. And he goes, dude, it, I think we can really do something. I'm like, I don't know that I need a manager. I don't even know if you really are from New York or if you're just from Toronto and you just drove up. Like, I don't know anything about you. There was a little bit of distrust there right yeah. off the get go. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I'm doing my thing. Like I, you know, we'll see what happens. And so coming to the end of the summer, I ended up flying to the UK uh, to do a wedding. And this is kind of stupid, but I, my visa expired the day I landed and I knew it had, but I kind of thought like, well, I'm just playing a wedding. It's like, I'm not like, it's not a thing. Like they paid for my flight over. It's not a big deal. But the border guy was like, who paid for your flight? I was like the, the couple. And he goes, okay, that money could have gone to a UK citizen. So unfortunately we're going to have to detain you. And, and like they gave me a sandwich and then they put me on the next plane home. So I oh, flew no. back home. And when I landed, there was a voicemail from this manager and he goes, we got to talk. And so I called him and it's like pretty late in New York. He goes, I just got you a showcase with Epic Records, with Universal Republic, with Sony Music Publishing and with Song Music Publishing. You've got to come to New York like next week. And I was supposed to be in the UK still. So I was like... So you would have missed this opportunity missed if you were in the UK. For sure. And it was back in the day when like, there's no way I would have turned on that cell phone in oh the UK, right? Because it's like, yeah. there's no there was no way to check your voicemail. Yo, from... I can't handle this. I can't handle this synchronicity. <laughs> so like, that's unreal. Cool. Hey, really cool. It's wild stuff. So, yeah. yeah, so I, I was like, okay, so uh, I guess I'm going to New York. So flew out to New York, went and showcased for these people. Um, still had it in my mind that I was like, I'm doing this on my own. If you want to come on board, great. But I'm doing this on my own. Not from like a, that's a really smart business move, but from like a, I'm just sort of like young and arrogant and thinking that like, Hey, I can make this. And I, I've heard bad things about record labels and I don't know if I want anything to do with you. Mm. So I did my showcasing, thought it went pretty good, uh, flew home and randomly, um, I had booked a show like early, early in the summer for this family in Kelowna. And the family in Kelowna was like, look, what if we pay you in air miles instead of like, uh, instead of money? And I was like, yeah, sure. Hippie. Great. And so they, they paid me in air miles and I was like, well, I don't, we don't have any money to go anywhere. So like, great, we can fly somewhere, but we can't stay anywhere. So he's like, I'll sweeten it up. I'll give you like a condo that my friend has in Mexico. I'm like, amazing. So this trip is now booked and I've now come home from New York and Julie and I now fly to Mexico and we're like in this condo and we're like, this is great. Life is so fun. And she's like, oh, so New York was fun. New York was fun. It was great. She's like, what do you think is going to happen? I'm like, I don't know. They seemed really excited about it, but we'll see. And, um, while we're there, I got two record deal offers and a publishing offer from Sony, Universal Republic, and Epic. And I just remember Julie and I were like, what is going on? Like, what is life? And it was That's kind of crazy. at that moment that I was like, this is the climax of everything I've been working towards. The hard work starts now. I have to make like a full album and right. life's about to get crazy. But I think that was the moment where it had gone from, this is just super fun and we're meeting a lot of great people to we've invested a lot of our own money and now all of a sudden people are taking notice and there's a chance that we could flip this whole thing on its head. And so when I got back, we went back and forth with lawyers and the whole thing took place so quickly that it was December that I was in Vancouver, wrote and recorded the rest of the album. And then immediately in January, went on tour with a guy named Joshua Radin and he's sort of famous from a bunch of TV shows, Grey's Anatomy, that kind of stuff. But then also he played at Ellen DeGeneres' wedding. So he was wow. pulling like 2,500, 3,500 people a night into these amazing, amazing venues all throughout the U.S. So that was where it started. And at that same moment, I hired a drummer from 
LA and he did the Joshua Raiden tour with me and he just started dating a girl. And I only say this because he's like, the tour's three weeks. I'll be back in LA in three weeks. Eight months later, he got back to LA because it just went so fast. The song started to blow up on the charts in the US. Okay, it went to number six booked. in Canada. And so it was number six in Canada for like 32 weeks. And then in the US, it went up to top 20. And before you knew it, it was we were on tour with Joshua Raiden and then we're opening for Bruno Mars and then we're opening for One Republic and then we're out on tour with the script and then wow. we're doing radio stuff and we hit every single state in the US except for five in the course of eight months. It was insane. What album was that? It wasn't even an album. The album never came out. <laughs> it was literally <laughs> just the single of it. It was tonight. the Loving You Tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I still can't that's believe crazy. that was the first song you wrote. So like crazy. that's the... Yeah. That's the one. Well, that co, is co-wrote. Mm-hmm. It was like the co-writing. Yeah, I'd written songs Christ- before that, but yeah. with the Christian like, like songwriting you know, company. Oh my! Wow, yeah. that's that's unreal. Yeah, they turned it down. They were like, "Well, this isn't real. This doesn't really fit into our mold of the Christian music industry." And I'm like, "Why? It's about love, and it's about loving the person you love and coming again, home to them." Then again, you're probably like, "Yeah, that's what I said." When well, I said kind of what, what am I, I doing here? Yeah, like, exactly. So, oh, and that man. was no, you know, no bash on Christianity or Christian music. It no, was just no. uh, straight up. I like, just hope you were married if you were loving her tonight. Yes. Right. right? So yeah. that was probably the implication. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. Man. No. So that, man, that's, so that's unreal. when things flipped. That's when everything changed and it was like, okay, now like we're, we're playing in the big leagues. This isn't just a, let's see where we can stay tonight. It was like. Like everything's covered now. Like, you know, the record label covers your hotels and they make sure that you eat well and they have a tour manager and there's people to do things for you. And you're like, what? And you signed with Sony, right? So I signed a record deal with Epic. Okay. Epic Records is the actual record label. And then Sony Music Publishing is the publishing company. So as an artist, you're split in two and you have the master side or the performance side. And then you also have the publishing side, which is your writing share. So I can write and you could cut the song and I would get publishing royalties, but I wouldn't get the master royalties because you would own that. So hmm. in that in that case then, because you did say like you've heard terrible things about record yeah. record labels. I'm curious if, if you're open to sharing it, just some of the details about the deal. Because what I know from yeah. it is like, a lot of record labels will give you like an advance and they'll they'll flash like a $3 million check in front of you and they'll yeah. be like, this is your advance for yeah. you. But like technically in the fine print, the rec- the advance is like owed back right. as you work, right? Like you make the money and it gets paid back to them. Yeah. I would love to tell you that it was a $3 million advance. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, no. So the advance comes in sort of two ways is you get an advance, but you also... Um, you get an advance personally, but a lot of it also has to go towards the creation of the album. Okay. So, and then also the advance is one part, which is just like straight up cash. That's like, Hey, here's money for you to live off of because we can't have you doing anything else. And it is recoupable. So anything that you make, they get money back before to pay off that, to pay off that. that they get, but know, then okay. your advance continues to grow as you, or your recoupable continues to grow as you spend more of their money. So, to be out on tour with an artist like Joshua Raiden, a lot of the time there's a buy-on. So in order to get on those tours, the record label will pay his camp to have you on it. Then you're, you know, you're, you're out like there building up a tab at a bar. You pretty much you're are like buying drinks for everybody. At this well, point. And, and sometimes literally you are buying drinks for radio people and you're taking them out for yeah. big schmoozy dinners. And at first I was like, this is awesome. Look at the food we get to eat. Yeah. And then I was like, Oh, that's on my dime. <laughs> and I owe all this money back. But the nice thing about a recoupable is that if they drop you or if you don't recoup, you don't owe that personally. Okay. That was just an investment on their part and they might lose it. Okay. 
So, so they're the ones putting up the risk. So if they give you, as long as you're making money, they're making money kind of thing. Well, they're making their money back yeah. and then they, but then they have like a, you know, a bottom line. So at some point they look at it and they go, Hmm, well, this artist isn't making us quite enough. So let's ax them. Even if they're into you for a million dollars, they'll be like, well, this one's making $2 million. So let's put more into them and we'll just count this as, you know, it's like a guy who owns like 20 restaurants and this restaurant isn't making that much money, but these ones are kind of supporting that one. So let's keep this one afloat until it just doesn't make sense anymore. Oh, it's like, it's like venture capital. Basically they invest in like 10 different, 10 different companies. Yeah. They throw everything behind it. They're trying to make the next Facebook. And if one out of 10 makes it, it pays off for all the other nine. That's right. Exactly. That's right. And so that's kind of the idea behind that. And then on the publishing side, uh, the publishing deal is more like they also give you an advance, but then they can only recoup on your publishing. So the record deal, they can recoup on like what you would make from the show. They also own the actual album. So they own the physical copy of the album. So they paid for me to record it. That's theirs. So anytime that that sells on, I mean, now it's all streaming, but anytime that would have sold on, you know, any record store or whatever, they got all the money from that. I didn't. Oh. So there's been artists in the past, Bruno Mars is a good example, who he had, um, what song blew up for him first? Just the way you are. It was before that one though. It was, um, uh, the one with Travi McCoy. Oh, Billionaire. Billionaire, yeah. Yeah. And so that thing was- quick with that. Yeah. It was like, it was fast. And I love music. Blew up, went big, and he couldn't afford a sandwich because he had signed a deal and stuff like that and they were taking all the money. And he wasn't making anything off anything. Well, and I heard just the way the way it worked out, like he and this could just be rumors or anything, but he was like placed on the featured as featured artist on Travi McCoy's yep. song, but it was actually like his song kind yeah, of yeah. thing. Yeah. So like he got kind of like axed for that too. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So it's kind of crazy, crazy like that. But but the nice thing is that yeah, they put up the investment. So if you can if you can be smart with the advance and live off of it and be like not be like yeah I'm baller now, which like, is what most people do when they yeah yeah exactly. And it's like they just spend it all. Whereas we were kind of like okay, we don't know how long we're gonna need to like float off this. So let's be smart and and let's That's like super smart. But we I mean we tried to live the same life that we had before we had anything. So that way then we could continue to just like live off of it. You just add on the things that are like contributing to the investment, like taking the people out That's right. when necessary. And yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And so it was, uh, so that was really positive. But then the, the, the fear that I always had, which is so funny because I expressed it to family. They were like, congratulations, you just signed a record deal. That's amazing. I'm like, you made it. I know, but I'm like, no, I have not made it yet. I need to actually record the album. I need to be kept on this record label because if, if I put all my time and energy into making an album, that's their album. And if they then decide to drop me or shelve the album, worst case scenario, they shelve the album and they don't drop you, then you're bound to them because you can't get out of your contract and the record is now on the shelf and you can't release it because it's theirs. And so that was my biggest fear that that would happen through that creative process. Right, right. And towards the end of my time with Epic, L.A. Reid took over, and which was cool except for the fact that he like axed everybody. So a whole bunch of people all got axed. I happened to be one of them. And I was like, no, my album is up there. But thankfully he was like, oh yeah, you can have it back. And so he like the investment that they put to record that album, they just gave me the album back. Interesting. And I was like, this is amazing. So it was at that point that I think um, my publisher stepped in a little heavier and was like, hey, what songs off this? 
Because if you're not touring currently, then let's see what songs we can shop from this album. So they were shopping a bunch of songs. One of them was called What You Wanted, which became a single of mine down the road. But initially it was held by Maroon 5 for like a month. And I was like, take the song. Because if they were to record it and release it and they put it out to radio, it'd be oh, like... can you imagine? Oh, it'd be next level. Like you'd be like, cool, I'm going everywhere in a helicopter. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Just man. because, you know, like, which is not me. I wouldn't actually do that, but... Yeah. So anyway, so that's kind of the that's kind of like the breakdown on that. So I'm I'm signed to Sony ATV Music Publishing, which is why moving out of that scene, I ended up moving to LA to write on a more like regular basis. So it was sort of like five six days a week of writing, which is crazy. It was like two hundred songs a year where you're just writing with random different people and with artists and stuff, and then you just kind of hope that somebody takes one of those songs. Were you in LA when you like maybe when that came out? The song maybe yeah um, was that that was I part wrote of the, it in that was LA. part of that was part of the a bigger album though right? no it wasn't that was after really yeah no way so I can't remember the whole track list on the album but I know loving you tonight was on there yeah um, sooner was on there which came out digitally but it didn't come out um, like to radio because I feel like if you stream it I think the album is called maybe if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, but I think it's just a single. Oh okay, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because the album itself was going to be called What You Wanted. Oh yeah, and it had eleven songs on it, and some of them have come out. Seven Days came out, but as a digital release only. Um, but then I Want You came out while we were waiting to get the album back from Epic, and then that song ended up going top ten in Canada. Wow. And I was like, oh, that that was weird how that all <laughs> happened, but it was good. I think it was really positive. Are you making kickbacks when things like Apple Music and people stream your music on Spotify now? Like those? Yes. Ones, now that it's been released. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, anytime that I release a song, Epic released you. Now it's like. It, well, they didn't get. They didn't put the album out for me. They just yeah. gave it back to me. So there's songs on there that have never been released. They've never come out because I thought by the time I got the album back, I had released some newer music, and I was just like, okay, that's kind of a chapter that I'm closing. That's okay. just music that probably nobody will ever hear, which is too bad. But it's also like. That's one of the that's one of the saddest things I hear because I always you always wonder. I mean, I, I heard a podcast with uh, with John Legend. He okay. said that um, like one of his what was that one that why is it not coming to me right now the uh, all of me all of me that's yeah. the one why was that not coming to me he said that that was a song that they weren't even going to put on that no. album they wrote it three years before it came out yeah and it ended up being his probably his biggest one he's ever done yeah. And that's what I always find so interesting because it's like, you don't know what's going to click. You don't know. And I, I'm a firm believer that the best songs ever, yeah, like Rolling Stone's best songs, the Beatles' best song, Queen's best song, we never got to see the light of day. Like never got to yeah. see the light of day. Because it's not just like the songwriting quality in itself. It's like, what it's does the artist people, do with it? But it's also and how, and how does it pick up? It's also how the, how the public picks it up. I mean, how the audience actually perceives that and how it actually clicks. I mean, you never know what's going to work. I don't think that if Loving You Tonight came out today, it would do anything. I that's don't a, think and that's would. an interesting point. I don't think it would because I think the climate of music has changed. At the time that Loving You Tonight came out, uh, Jason Mraz was really big. Colby Calais was really big. John Mayer was still hitting stuff it's on radio. On the same and like, you don't hear Jason anymore. You don't hear like Colby Calais started a new band and it's like a country thing. You know, so it's like it's interesting how the the shifts happen because yeah, now we're into the uh, you know the, the like the new age of hip hop yeah. is kind of like popping again, right? right. So can gotta, I tell you a funny story about all of yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he uh, John wrote that with Toby Gad, who's a, a really prolific songwriter. Toby Gad is credited with writing um, uh, "If I Were a Boy" for Beyonce. Really, um, he wrote uh, "Fergie's Big Girls Don't Cry." He wrote "Skyscraper" for Demi Lovato. He's a big, big, big writer. So him and I had written together 
And he had two sort of protégés underneath him. One was Josh Cumby, who's coming up in the world. You'll probably hear more about him in the next little while. Um, and then a guy named Afshin, who's like an EDM producer. And so I was kind of around the house. He has a house up, he has a house, and then he has like a house studio up in the hills in, uh, in Los Angeles. And so I was up there a bunch writing with Toby and writing with Josh and writing with Afshin, but more writing with like Josh and Afshin. And to the point that Josh and I became quite friendly and Josh was like, hey man, I'm getting married. Really like it if you would come to our wedding. So I was like, I'd love to, that'd be great. So came to the wedding and this was right when all of me was like blowing up and Toby was at the wedding and all of a sudden the song All of Me comes on and Toby just grabs his wife and the two of them are dancing, singing along with this song that not only like did he write with, you know, with John Legend, but also like made him millions of dollars. And he, there he is, like the actual writer is standing right in front of us dancing. And it was just like this really surreal That's moment wild, of being like, man. oh my gosh, like this song is like worldwide known. It's a massive single. Oh, it's ginormous. And there's Toby, the guy, right? Just this humble, wonderful, like German guy just dancing with That's his wife so at funny, a wedding. Man. It was so good. That was in LA. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is a good special moment. I'm not going to forget this. On that note to transition, because yeah. I, I love a good story. Yeah. You've obviously had the experience living in LA, but just touring in general. With yeah. Everyone. You've had the experience to meet loads of cool. Who is the coolest person you would say you've met? Oh, the coolest person. So, I mean, that's always funny because it kind of depends on who you think is cool. Yeah. Um, I want to so, know who you think is cool. So, my the best moment for me in all of the touring where I was just so shocked and surprised and like stoked about a situation, um, I was a huge fan of the band The Script from, oh, yeah, from Ireland. Yeah. They're just like, when they first came out with their stuff, I was like, oh my gosh, I love these guys so much. So when we had the opportunity to open them, we got three nights with them, one in uh, San Francisco, one in LA, and one in Vegas. And the LA one, they our green room, we were a five-piece band. That's all the people I had hired. And we were like in this little tiny green room. And then they had this really big green room. Um, and then they had like another green room for just the band, the script. But I didn't realize like the big one, we could actually like be in. But I was like, we're all just so like nervous because it was like it's the script. And like, I love them. And I was like, I don't want to get in their way. I don't want them to not like me or anything. So Danny, the lead singer of the script pops his head in and we're just like all like huddled in this little tiny room. Uh, and he's like, what are you doing? And we're like, what do you mean? He's like, why are you all in this room? Like there's food and drinks and everything. Just come up. It's all, anything you want is and yours. you didn't want to bother them. Hey? No, not at all. And he's like, anything you want is yours. You can take anything you want. Just, just don't take our girlfriends. And we're like, That's, <laughs> okay, great. And then after that show, he came downstairs and he's got this ukulele and he pops his head back into our room, which we're back in again. I don't know why. It's like our little kennel. Yeah. And he's, he's kind of strumming. He goes, you got, anybody know how to play this? And I was like, I mean, I, I, he's like, yeah, yeah, here. And he throws me the ukulele. And so I pick it up and I start playing Don Hanley's Boys of Summer. And he starts singing along with me. And I was like, the coolest person in the world. Like, this is amazing. And it was like, nobody really had an iPhone at the time to like videotape. And probably good they didn't. Because it was this, it's like, I don't know. So that would, that would be one that I think is super cool. The other person that I met that I, well, there's two people that I think are really cool in the songwriting community. I was, uh, I wrote with Megan Trainer before she was like, really Megan Trainer, Megan Trainer. Yeah. And cause she just wanted to be a writer and she was like, just really working her craft and she was recording her own stuff. And so I ended up getting together with her at an apartment in LA and the two of us wrote a couple songs. And I just remember thinking she was like 17 or 18 at the time. And her voice was unreal. She didn't miss a note. She sounded incredible. Her writing chops were off the charts. Like I was like, how are you this good? And you're like 18 years old. 
And she hadn't popped at all at this point. No, she didn't even want to be an artist. Were you like, were you the kind of, I actually, I want to hear the rest of this, but at the same time, I'm like, do you, were you the one that was like, you got to go somewhere with this. You got to do something. Well, no, cause, cause in LA, it's so funny. Cause there's people that legitimately do not want to be artists. They just want to be writers. Really? Like I have friends that are like one of my buddies, he wrote, um, honey, I'm good for Andy Grammer. Well, with Andy Grammer. And I was like, and his voice is unreal. He sounds great. He's super cool. He looks like an old school James Dean. He's young and hip and really like awesome. He plays guitar like a madman. I was like, dude, why are you not pursuing this? He's like, are you kidding I don't want to tour and like be out on the road all the time and like leave my family. That sucks. I want to like, I want to be home and like, I love the studio and I'm like, that's an interesting dynamic. So I thought, I thought Megan was kind of the same. She really loved producing and stuff. And so she wrote all about that bass, pitched it to Beyonce. LA Reed heard it. Beyonce said, no, I'm not singing that song. And LA Reed had heard it and said, well, who wrote that? Who's singing on it? So he brings Megan into the office and he goes, you, you should release it. And she's like, I am not an artist. And he's like, you can be. And he signed her like on the spot and like pushed that song out as the first single. And then all of a sudden now she's a superstar. Holy Jesus. So it was like, yeah, it was was cool. So that was like, that's crazy. Right before she popped then you were like, well, we kind of writing with her. Yeah, or yeah, we kind of kept in touch a bunch. And was and something was something about you like in your mind? You were probably like, I'm definitely like she's gonna pop. No, because she didn't still wanna, no. Hey, she no, didn't I mean, want to do was, it. She was uber talented. I thought she would pop as a songwriter. I didn't think yeah. that she wanted to pursue the artist thing. So if she did, if if I knew that she wanted to pursue the artist thing, I probably would have been like, oh, that girl's going somewhere. But I remember seeing the video when she posted all about that bass. It had a thousand views, and I watched it, and I wrote her, and was like, Megan this is nuts. Like this is next level. And she was like, Oh my gosh, thanks so much. And then it blew up. And then I wrote her and was like, I knew it's going to blow up. And then some girl like named Cindy was like, who are you trying to get a hold of? I'm like, dang, Megan changed her number. End of, end of story. No. So, I mean, you have to at some point, right? Everybody has your number. Do you ever like slide into her DMS or something like that? I've written her a few things, but I, yeah, she's just kind of, I mean, she's got millions of followers. Oh, I I can only imagine uh, how many like hit, like how many times she gets hit up. That's interesting. Cause like, all about that bass. Like, I remember, like, that was one of the songs you'd hear, like, three times a day. Like, I used oh, to yeah. work at Nature's Fair and just, like, yep. it'd be on that repeat playlist that's yeah. on there. And, I mean, everyone knows that song. Everybody now. does. Everybody knows that. Yeah. I'm kind of curious about, like, what you learned about being in the music industry. Like, coming from, like, the distrustful, you know, Andrew <laughs> right. Allen, where you're like, oh, I don't really know yeah. what's going on. You know, everyone hears the good and the bad stories about right. the record. You know, uh, uh, an example is like straight out of Compton. Okay. You know, it's, it's very like, it's like, holy shit, this is <laughs> yeah. cutthroat yeah. Um, at times. So what did you learn about it, you know, in terms of, you know, you don't have to bash the right. thing, but like some things you learn were like, wow, I didn't know that and I don't really like it, but also things that you're like, wow, okay, this actually works for the artist in a certain way. And like, yeah. what, are, what are things that you learned along the way that had made it stick for you? I think the thing that I learned the most that I, that my take home, because there was a lot of moments obviously in my career where it was like, what is happening? And like my manager was representing me in a funny way or, um, the record label president was kind of being shifty or couldn't like, you know, where we thought we were getting something we weren't. And then they were promising this and then we're getting that. The travel person would put us on like the wrong flights and it just messed it up. Or like even relationally, they would, you know, try to encourage like the, we want you to look like a single male and you're not. And I'm like, well, all my songs are about my wife. Like, that's such a dumb concept. Like, why would yeah. you try to shift me into something that I'm apparently Trying not? Trying to, like, project a persona. Exactly. That, that's not true. Exactly. But I think my biggest take home was, like, the record label is ultimately a bank. And they're the ones that if they say, hey, we're willing to invest in you, then obviously they have a say in what you're doing. But 
it's up to you how much of a say they have, because at the end of the day, you're the artist. And so if you don't want to do it, then don't do it. And I think for me, I recognize that in moving forward in my career, I'm my biggest fan and I have to be, and I have to be the one that's like the most driven. Like they always say, like, what's the term that they're like a great ideas have very few childhood friends. And it's like, when you have these great ideas, it's like, you might not have a lot of people going, yeah, buddy, you're right. You're right. You know? So you've got to like, if anything, the opposite. Normally. Yeah. You know, yeah well, that's you're, not gonna it's, work. it's lonely that's not gonna sometimes. Work. Yeah. Yeah. But you've got to be like, I am so passionate and so driven about this. And I understand my vision. And I think like, if I was telling any young artists, like understand who you are and try stay to define to who you are and stay true to yourself. Because as soon as you get in there, they're going to say, Oh, you need to be edgier. Oh, you need to do this. Or you need to wear this. They're just, they're all just trying. They're not trying to be vindictive or like jerks. Some but of they know what sells and they know who you are in that system. Right. Until somebody else sells something like right. nobody would have thought that like Megan Trainer, who like, you know, was a bigger girl for the industry at the moment. I mean, if you put her up against Ariana Grande, like yeah, she's like a little weird. flea. And then Megan Trainer's like a normal sized human. Nobody would have thought going into it. They were telling all the other girls, oh, you got to lose weight. You got to lose weight. Megan Trainer comes in and she's like, check it, drops it. And she's massive now. Like. And she, but she was relatable. That's, That's the right. Thing. And she so, was relatable for so many people. Right. And up until that point, like people were not saying, oh, try to be more like Megan Trainer. Well, once Megan Trainer existed, then people were like, oh, try to be more like Megan Trainer. Let's go for authenticity. It's, and it's, it's like, yeah, but then, humor, all right. that. That's not authentic. Don't go for authenticity. Right. Just be authentic. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so I think that's the biggest thing is that, like, is it's like, I write with a lot of young artists, and sometimes I'll be like, oh, like, you know, kind of what's your thing? Oh, I want to be like Halsey. Okay. Well, Halsey exists. And are you like Halsey? Like, do are are you do you like drugs? And are you like yeah, do you, you kind of you know what's your relationship status? Like, it doesn't like that doesn't define Halsey, but that gives her her edge. So if you're not those things, don't be those things because before Halsey, like Halsey wasn't trying to be Halsey. Halsey was just trying to be. She's and then as soon as she became something, everybody wanted to be her. So don't bother. Just like stay focused, stay true to what you are, and. I think that's the biggest thing that I took out of the whole music industry is recognize the label for what it is. It's a label, which is essentially a bank. They will give you money and they will put out music for you. So if you need money and you need somebody to put music out for you, then the best chance you have of staying true to yourself is to make so much noise and show how like focused you are so that when they get on board, they don't want to change you because they just see you as something that's going to make them money and then use their money. And if all of a sudden they don't want you to use their money anymore and you're gone, then don't be disheartened by it. Just move on to the next thing. Because if you're really focused and you're driven on what you want and what you think, um, like what you're fully driven towards getting, and it's like a properly guided principle, then I think you don't need anybody else. But if you can use some of those external things that some people have been like, that was a very negative experience. It's like, well, that's because maybe you didn't know who you were and you just jumped into this bed with this record label you didn't know and they just kind of used and abused you and spat you out and then you're like that wasn't me well and it sounds like sorry no no go ahead man i was just saying it sounds it sounds like you were more conscious of that going into it like you knew most people they'll get in they'll be like oh i made it that's it record label pop in the pop in the champagne hennessy you know right i mean i was worried that we were gonna i was worried that crap was gonna hit the fan and i think like you know, there was people that were like, no man, just like enjoy the ride. And I think there was a, a crushing point, you know, when I was let go by Epic where I was like, oh my gosh, what has happened to me? Like, how am I supposed to come back from this? And it's, it's my rear view mirror that's now saying, if this happens again, 
don't let it like be stronger than that. Stay true to yourself. Like when I was in the office with Epic and they're saying, aren't you excited that we're going to sign you maybe? And me going, yeah, I mean, if you guys want to get on board, that's cool. <laughs> if not, like I'm already going, Yeah, that's you know, right. and, for the ride. and so, and then it kind of shifted where I was like, oh, they must be right. Well, they're not always right. And that's okay. They're just trying to, they're just a bunch of people. <laughs> like they're all just trying to figure it out. It's definitely counter to what you hear about. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's people make it sound like, and then who knows, maybe in different circles, it is like that yeah. where it's like, we control everything. If we tell you to wear this shirt, you better wear this shirt. Yes. Or if you do this, you better do this. Whereas for you, the experience is more like, like, yeah, of course, you know, if you want to temporarily please some people, you can do this, yeah. but you actually were able to buck that system a little bit to actually just kind of like, okay, I get the recommendation. I get where it's coming from. And you saw it as not this thing like, oh, they're trying to go against me. Right. But it's just like, no, I actually have more of a say and I believe in what I'm doing. Yeah. And there was moments where I definitely didn't, where I was like, I was like, oh yeah, you must be right. And then I'd kind of look back on it and be like, why didn't I stand up for that? Like, Mm. I I mean, I I want more than that. I don't want to do this or I don't want to be in this scenario. And I want the situation to be more like this. But a lot of the time you do have more of a say and you're right. There could be situations that I'm just very unaware of and people get brought into situations that are really uncomfortable. And it's like, and for them, I'm not trying to like discount like, oh, you just didn't have enough guts to like go for it. No, no. It's, I it's mean, saying, everyone's like, different, different. But, yeah. but I think, you know, it's not like you're with a, a, a minor record label. So no. to hear that, it's it's very interesting because mm. it's it's counter to what people think about. It's like It's like you either stay independent and you know you go for that like 0.0001% right. or you sell out and right. it's like well no i didn't sell out i just knew how to market it right and that, and, and to be an fair i'm not with the label anymore so maybe if i would have done more of their things yeah, i would have right, right. you wonder cuz the ir- the irony of the situation is like okay not everyone is going to be bruno mars or right. like get right. it to that that level right yeah. but don't sell yourself out along the way, no matter what mm-hmm. it is, because you could crash and burn and lose yourself along the way, mm-hmm. or you yeah. could be yourself mm-hmm. and get as high as you're going to get, basically. That's right. Because what I find that's so interesting, whether it's in business or art or sports or whatever it is, is <laughs> the the saying goes, once you achieve what you wanted to achieve or start to go down that path of achieving what you want to achieve, you mm-hmm. do less of the behavior that actually got you there. That's right. And that's what's so ironic about the whole situation. Because it's like you do less, whether it's less of the hard work, whether it's less of being yourself, whether it's molding to what other people are telling you to do or molding to what you think the audience wants. You start to become less of yourself or what the, what the customer, what you think the customer wants. That's right. Just do you the entire time and, and and you'll reach, I'm, I'm a firm believer of, of talent and hard work balancing themselves out, but everyone's got a certain amount of talent. That's that, right. that is what it is. Yeah. It'll be balanced with hard work. But I mean, look, if I want to be a singer, like the best thing that I'm going to probably do is play at bars for free. Right. Like, it just is what it is. If, right. if I don't get thrown out, like right. way. <laughs> I can work as hard as I want to do it. Right. But if it's not balanced by that talent and right. if I'm not authentic to myself. Mm-hmm. Well, there's like a term that goes along with that. It's And I'm curious what your thought is on this and how this relates to you. But um, a term called beginner's mind. You start something oh. where it's like, okay, I'm on kind of the up. Okay. I got to start this journey and I'm a beginner. You know, for you, it might've been, you know, at the beginning of your life, it's like, I'm a beginner with the instruments and the singing, but then you became a beginner in the industry. Um, and you kind of, it, you tend to lose the beginner's mind as you go ahead because you're kind of pigeonholed into something that, 
okay, well, this is what I am now. And then all of a sudden your duties change and it, ex it happens exactly like that. You yeah. lose those practices that actually gave you that um, platform in the first place. So for you, do you actually do conscious things to keep you in that creative zone? Um, have you found times where you've lost that sort of, not necessarily motivation, but just that like that edge that actually got a lot of that creativity through and how did you deal with it? Oh man, great question. Um, so when I was living in LA, it was so funny because the initial bunch of music that I had released and recorded and written was all from a real place. Like it was like, okay, I'm living my life. And just in the middle of the day, I would be like, oh man, I, this idea just came to me because it was about life. When we moved to LA, I'm writing six days a week a lot of the time. And we would go into sessions and they'd be like, so what do you think this person would want to sing about? Like Adam Levine. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know Adam Levine. And they're like, well, he seems to like this subject matter, you know, or clubs or whatever. I'm like, I don't go to clubs. Okay. I guess I'm just going to like imagine. And so like we would imagine these and I would send all the songs to my publisher. And a lot of times he's like, yeah, it's good. It's good. Melodies are good. It's good. You know? And he's like, dig deeper. I feel like you got more in you. So my idea of digging deeper was like, educate myself more about like what people are writing about and try to get into the craft of it more. But for me personally, um, it all shifted when I, I kind of just wrote a song for me where I was like, this is just, I'm just writing this song. And I remember sending it in to my publisher and he was like, oh, there we go. This is great. This is amazing. And so they sent it to somebody, they sent it to somebody, sent it to somebody. And then an Italian artist ended up cutting it and it went quadruple platinum because it was like, it was a song that came from my heart from the place that I used to write from, which was like mm. finding like a peace and a solace in my life and then writing about those moments. Writing your truth. That's right. So the answer to that question was a heck of a lot simpler than you had thought. Yeah, yeah exactly. So now, you know, having moved back from Los Angeles and living in Vernon, it's like, this is where it all began for me as far as my songwriting career went. So you're connecting and, with your roots again. Yeah. It's like my studio like looks out at greenery and a lake and like, I just feel like, oh, this is good. And so the newest project that I've just embarked on, which I was kind of telling you guys before is a, is a project called Via Barcelona, which is a really fun, upbeat, energetic, like Paul Simon's Graceland meets 2019. It's incredibly fun. It's super fun to write because there's no parameters because nobody else is doing it. And so there's not really any rules. It's just like, let's just write really fun stuff. And if we feel like putting in like some African inspired harmonies, let's do that. Yeah. And if we feel like putting in some steel drums, let's do that. And we just kind of are having so much fun with it. And it's brought me right back to the roots of what I wanted to create in the first place was music that inspired and made people excited and happy. And has that unique factor to yeah. it. I mean, what you're talking about sounds a lot like, I mean, I just watched Bohemian Rhapsody yes. a few months ago and I started that, to like look into it too, more yeah. and like yeah. the, the, the scenes and the moments where they're, you know, throwing coins on like right. a speaker and like they're flying up and making the, the noises. Oh, sorry. I just, my watch yeah. just hit the table. <laughs> that could be a noise right there. Yeah, right? Exactly. My watch hitting the concrete exactly. table. Exactly. So, no, like that's, that's so interesting. I love that kind of unique factor. Cause then when you're listening to the, you're not just listening to the words, but you're like, okay, it's shifting to one side. It's shifting to the other. Yeah. Wow. What was that noise that just yeah. popped up? That was pretty cool. That yeah. made me feel something. That's right? right. And so, and it's, it's been, you know, evolving. It's like, I, I, I did a folk duo for a bit because I was really into like some singer songwriter stuff, but each time I would like rebrand me because there's something that happens in the music industry where like a musician a lot of the time creates a brand for themselves or the record label does it. And that's where everybody wants them to stay. 
You know what I mean? Like when you hear an Adam Levine song now or like a Maroon 5 song now, it's like they're all kind of in the same world. They don't yeah. really change that much. They haven't for a long time no. either. No, they used to when it was like a band. Yeah, And exactly. it's still a band, but it's like it got a lot more electronic after moves like Jagger and kind of, yeah. you know, kept going from there. But then you see things like, you wonder if that's actually staying to their authentic selves because then you see things like what happened at the Super Bowl. Yeah. And I mean, the game was a flop. People were hoping for the halftime show. And yeah. Well, no, that didn't save you either. Yeah, so, it wasn't super great. That was, yeah. <laughs> it's no. a bit weird. And yeah. I, th I think that's the thing is though, is that if, if Adam Levine, maybe now at his point, if he was to release some sort of acoustic thing or if he shifted gears, totally agree. maybe people would think it was cool. But there's also a big section of people that are like, what? Don't change. Like we, we heard the first album, we loved it. And then the second album came out and the band wanted to take a new direction. And a lot of times people just check out. They're like, no, I'm gone. You know, I don't want like Mumford and Sons. That's they so shifted and people are like, eh. unless you're a diehard Mumford fan, they're like, no. I'm That's gone. actually so true. They had like Little Lion Man, like pop, like crazy. Mm -hmm. And then you get like the wolf and the, yeah. like, uh, what was the other one? Was it Believe? I think, yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. and those ones, like, they, they were okay, but they didn't pop the same way. That's right. And, so and, interesting. And so it's sort style. of... So it's risky. But imagine if Mumford & Sons would have changed their name and released it under something else, maybe it would have popped. Maybe. You that's know? what's so and weird so, about the music industry. You just is. don't know... You don't know what's going to fit, and that's why, like, like we said, like, just staying authentic is going to be huge. I mean, one quote that actually works so well here is, you can't be anything you want to be, but you can be more of what you already are. Yeah. And that's what I like about what you've talked about, like what you're doing. You come back to your roots. You're like, you're, you're coming in from within the heart and you're yeah. not thinking about, oh, what would Maroon 5 like? Right. They go clubbing and stuff yeah. like that. You're just like, no, I'm just going to write what makes sense to me. That's right. Write yeah. what works for me. Yeah. And currently my, my, like, you know, two years ago, I was a little more like sort of down and feeling more like folk inspired. And so I was writing more of that kind of thing. And then now this new energy is kind of, shifted and gotten me excited and I'm like really excited about this and it's not to say that I'm shifting my brand except for it is a new band so it is like a new brand but it's like it's also just like this is just what's coming out it's of me now in your life you know that's, that's what I love about music so much too is it like I listen to music for the lyrics I love mm. to hear the story and what the story means to the what I think the story might mean to the artist yeah because I don't read a lot of books I just right. don't I don't like reading but like I'll listen to a, a like a song or something yeah. like that and i'll hear the story behind it so that's what i love yeah. about you is you're adapting and you're changing through as your life changes and yeah. i feel like you're bringing your listeners along for that ride trying yeah trying and you never know like it's all still a risk but it's like this is what inspires me now this is what makes me feel something so when i when i work on the via barcelona stuff i'm like i get fired up and i still am excited about my andrew allen stuff obviously like it's fun to play and it's fun like i still write for my own stuff but the Via Barcelona stuff right now in my current state of mind is like, this is so exciting. I can't wait to get out and play it and to see how it reacts with people. And and it's fun to collaborate with other people because I've been a solo artist for so long where it's like I'll hire people and be like, this is what you play. And then they'll add their own little takes on it. But in this project, it's very collaborative and it's like, hey, what do you want to play? <laughs> you know, and it's back yeah. and forth. It's really exciting. And so it, it is kind of bringing me back to my roots, but also to a changed version. It's like, you know, when somebody runs into you after I haven't seen you for years and they're like, oh man, you've changed. And you're like, you say that like it's a bad thing. Yeah. Like it's a really good thing if you change. It's way weirder if you don't. Yeah, exactly. Way weirder. Like it's actually, that makes a good, that's a really good right? point. Everything has to evolve and has to change. And I think that the more that you can embrace it and continue, it keeps you younger, keeps you more like on the pulse of things. It's exciting. It's like, there's really neat, fun stuff going on all the time. And like, change go so, for it 
take us through the process of, okay, you were, you had the label yeah. years for quite a while. Yeah. Then we went to this new project where like you're completely independent, both as a solo artist and with via Barcelona. Are you still with a publisher? Yeah, I'm still with Sony. You're yeah. still with Sony. Yeah, still okay, with Sony. So you so never okay. dropped. They so, never dropped. No, no. So Sony and Sorry, I was going to ask the exact same question. Yeah. Okay. Sony and I are kind of together for life. But where, where, where did that shift happen? Like from moving from LA yeah. back here, how does that look for you? Like, was that a conscious thing where you're like, I just need a change and I want to be back home or like, how did yeah. that look for you? LA is, is a fascinating place. It's uh it's fun. It's exciting. It's vibrant. It's going all the time. It's filled with young people that are really inspired and excited, but it's also filled with people that are like, I am here to be the best and I don't care what I have to step on to get there. And for me, it's not really, it's not really a conducive environment for creating genuine, authentic music. Because if I went into a studio and LA's changed over the years too, when I was, when I was there towards the end of my time there, um, I would go into a studio with an acoustic guitar and there'd be a producer in the room, like another writer. And they'd be like, Whoa, you play. And I'm like, Oh no. You know what I mean? Like you don't play an instrument. You literally are a beat person and you just press buttons on your computer and you make beats, which is still a form of music creation. But in my world, it's like, let's write the song first. If it's a great song and it can survive on an acoustic guitar, it'll survive anything. You know what I mean? But if we don't have the bones, it's not going to work. Right. And so they were more like a lot of the time, like, oh yeah, man, that's a great line. I'm like, I was just riffing. It was just an idea. No, no, go cut it. I'm like, it's not a song yet. It's just a word. Stop. Like, don't, yeah, don't stutter my one word. Like be like, <laughs> I don't even know what, but like just yeah. a, a word. And then they just stutter it and produce it all. And I'm like, no, this isn't my, this isn't how I want to write. And then my, my sort of like personal life of like being able to enjoy friends and company and have people over for dinner. It's like, I don't know how many times we'd be like, come over for dinner. And they'd be like, yeah, we'll be there. And then all of a sudden they'd call 40 minutes before they had to be there and like, oh, sorry, I just, this other thing came up. And it's like something better came up is what you're actually saying. Uh. And I think that that environment for me was just not something that I liked. And so we sort of, we sort of like fleeced it out and we're like, Hey, if we happen to get pregnant, let's not stay here. And so we got pregnant <laughs> like right yeah, away. That's awesome. And, and we're like, all right, I guess this is like a good sign to move. And so we moved uh, to Port Moody first for about a year and a half. And I had a studio in the area and then it rained a lot there. And I was like, this, like, this is fine, but let's get back where there's family and where we grew up and stuff. There's and, actually sunshine. And yeah. And like, just, you know, it just felt, it felt right. And so when we came back, then it was, it was a good move. And it, oddly enough though, when I came back, I, I'm, I'm not technically independent because okay. I'm still signed to a label called Reliant Music out of Vancouver. Okay. And so they're I the ones that I'm quite sure how that Yeah, I know. Works, it's kind of, so. it's kinda, but they're kind of like, they're technically like an indie label, which makes no sense because they're not indie, but <laughs> they're like an indie label and they upstream to Warner. So in a roundabout oh, way, okay. it's like, I'm still kind of signed to Warner through Reliant. And so they release singles on my behalf, but we don't have like a major deal where like they get a piece of everything. They just are kind of like, we'll put the songs out to radio. We get a piece of it. You get a piece of it. Everybody's happy. There's a lot of like downstream That's structure a, there that no that one a, really understands. Yeah. Right? Is that a cooler setup you think than um, the other way or? It depends. Sometimes I think it's cool because I don't have like, my hands aren't tied and I can release whatever I want. And like right. If I say, hey, do you like the song? You want to put it to radio? And they go, no, not really. And you go, okay, cool. Well, I think it's really good. I'm going to put it out on Spotify. You cool. know, great. Nobody cares. Um, they don't tell me what to wear, what to, you know, because they're not paying for everything. So that, but then on the flip side, they're not paying for anything. So that part kind of sucks for you're like, oh, if I want to do this, I, don't I really, have this big bank yeah, over here. it's kind of nice when somebody else is paying for stuff. That's a, that's a fair point. Yeah. So, you know, 
it kind of you play it out both ways. I would I'm not I'm not opposed to a record label situation in the future, like a major. Right. Um, right. if it was the right situation and if they understood what it was that I was looking to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were willing to work together. And I'm lucky in my publishing deal because the guy who signed me is still the guy that's there. Whereas a lot of the times that's the other issue that happens in record labels is that you would sign me and then you move to a different record label and now I have no point person and everybody else has their bands that they sign, but they don't care about me. So then you kind of get just thrown. Because you went there, you went to that specific place for the person. Yeah. I find that with a lot of institutions in general. That's right. It's just like you you go there, you're drawn for the person because... Yeah. You know, you're attracted to the person. Every institution is going to be pretty much the same, but yeah, you have exactly. the person that goes above and beyond. So if you lose your person, then all of a sudden you actually don't have anybody now you fighting wonder, for you at the label and you're like, hmm. and you can't transfer either at that point. Not really. No. no. Yeah. So that's where you can get kind of bound up. That's the sad part of the record labels. Right. Right. Well, yeah. let's like, we can switch gears yet again here on sure. this because it's, it's a perfect time to do so unless sure. you had something else. Either. I just, I was going to, I was going to move. I want to hear if we're moving to the same place. Oh, this so, <laughs> so I, I, I love this, the story of all this, like the, you know, you guys starting out where you did taking yeah. the leap of faith, you know, I think in every success story, there's always that little bit of luck yeah. that helps you to get there. And for you, it was that, that little bit of luck with that uh, flight Oh, right. cancer, or yeah. uh, the the visa issue yeah. and being like yeah. wow holy I got I've got goosebumps like, so funny and it's and it's amazing <laughs> because like everybody needs that David and I have both had it Clinton's had it everyone's had it yeah and but to take that and actually combine that with a leap of faith into what you actually wanted to do because without both um you're hooped yeah and I like where it's gone you've had this experience of the record label and then you know still kind of technically with the record label, right, but you're right. in Vernon where you actually get to design your life a little bit more. Yeah, it's um, better. <laughs> well, and you, I like you have a child now. So yeah. how has the journey spread to, to this experience and what kind of lessons have you learned along the way that you want to pass along to your child? London uh, is London. Yeah, yeah, name, right? yeah. Her name. Her, Her name. name, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Pardon me. She sometimes likes to be called puppy. Though. That's right. When she comes into the restaurant, she decides yeah. she wants oh, to be puppy. Oh, it's only then? Uh, well, that was some some of the time. Uh, lately, she's wanted to be Lightning McQueen if she's in a race. <laughs> I um, and yeah, she smashed her face on the ground today, though. And I was like, oh, are you? It's like when Lightning McQueen crashed. She's like, I am not Lightning. I am London. And I'm like, all right. That's right awesome. now, you are feeling everything in your face. And I'm sorry yeah. about that. Um, yeah, so I think my experience up to this point has made me realize, because um, there was probably a stint in there where I was, I was probably fighting for the wrong thing. Like I was like, okay, I want another single at radio. I want this to work. And so I was kind of like, well, I don't know if this is the best song, but uh, it'll probably work, you know? And I don't know if it came from the most honest place, but it'll probably work. And so I'll take a chance. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, well, I'll I'll take another chance. And now having a daughter, um, I feel like I don't... I'm willing to take chances and I'm willing to take risks to show her that it's worth it to take chances and risks. But now I want to be 120% sure that what I'm chancing and risking is for the sake of something that I truly believe in. And so if I'm going to put out a single and I know that that's going to involve getting out to do a radio tour, um, getting out to tour tour, then that means I'm going to be spending time away from her, which to me is not awesome. Like I'd, I love being with her and I love spending time with her. So if I have to go and promote a song, then I have to know without fail that that song is worth promoting. 
that it says something that's going to make the world a better place, that it says something that I'm proud of, that I'm willing to get behind and just be hammering the road with. I think and, that's beautiful. And if I'm not, if I'm not confident in that, then it's not worth it because it's like, then it's taking me away from my family. There's like, I've had some really good success with TV commercials and film and movies and other artists taking songs that pay all the bills. So I don't need to do the artist thing, but in my soul I do because I love performing and I love being out there. Right. And that's the way, that's the biggest way that it's changed is that if I need to leave the house and be away from her for any period of time, then it's got to be worth it. It's got to be for something that I really believe in. So you're in a smaller town, but the stakes are actually higher for you on a personal level. Yeah. And it's, but it's exciting too, because then I think what I'm creating and what I'm putting out there is like top notch. Like I'm just, I heard the the new single, I think it was from 2018. I can't even remember the name of it. Was that one what you wanted? It was just on, it was just on um, Apple music. It was an acoustic one and it was really good. Oh, Oh, face the night. Yes, that's it. Thank you. It was really good. Thanks very much. Yeah. I appreciate that a lot. So it's interesting. I like, I like the fact that it's like, this is not just for me and Julia now there's someone else here and it's like part of your world. Right. Yeah. And in her current state of mind, the, she knows either I'm home or I'm not. She doesn't know what I'm doing and what I'm promoting. Like she knows I'm off working and that I sing and she knows that, but she doesn't understand like what I'm really working towards. So at the end of the day, if, if there's a section of time where I don't get to be around her, then when she does understand it, I want her to know what it was for. It's not like, oh, you were promoting that really nasty song that really didn't make anybody happy. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, no, I, yeah, you're right. Like I want to do, that's, wanna do that's right by her. And, I, like the, I like the fact that you're looking at the big picture. With that in mind, then, right. are you thinking potentially, because music artists have long careers. I mean, you look yeah. at the Rolling Stones, they're still kicking. I, know. I mean, surprisingly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How? Um, do you think like you'll get to the point where it, obviously if she's, if that's something she wants to do as well, like what if you do hit it, it again in, in five, 10 years and you do start going on tour? Is that mm. something you want to take her on, along oh, the ride gosh. for? Yeah. I would love to take her along with yeah. you. Said, yeah. Sorry. I totally like cut you off. No, that's perfect. Thinking, you know, you know what I was going to say? Road. Yeah. Um, I, I feel, I feel very strongly about this new project via Barcelona. I think that it's got some serious legs and that it's got, I've liked, I've liked watching it as well. I think it's cool. cool. Thank you. It's, it's really exciting for me. It feels like it's got a very, um, I think it transcends Canada and the U S and I think it can be international, which is for me, very exciting. Like I, I would love to see more of the world. And if those opportunities present themselves, then like, hell yes, I want London to come. I would love to show her more of the world and make sure that she can get out there and see things. Miss and... her science test or whatever oh, yeah, it is. Whatever. Sorry, like... <laughs> <laughs> teachers. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, I think awesome. I, I think that there's a there's a whole really exciting world out there. But at the same time, I also think she's an individual and I would love to know I would always be checking in with her and be That's like That's what she wants. Yeah. Like, are are you missing your friends? Like, do you want to be back home? Do you want more mm. stability? Do you want more of that, or do you want more chaos and more hotel rooms and more of that kind of thing? And of course it also like, you know, Julia has a say in that too. She might be like, uh, yeah, I'm running a successful business at home. So I don't want her gone all the time either. Cause then the yeah. reverse happens where she's going, well, what's, what's my worth here? Like, I want to make sure that, so it would, it would have to be the right circumstances, but I mean, I think London's a boss. I mean, she's, she's all about it. Like, you know, um, I, was, I was rehearsing and she grabbed my mic and she starts singing into it and she's like, put on those weird effects. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like looping her I and she's, she's, awesome. you know, she's, a, she's a performer. Man. She she's is. got, she's got it in her. That's yeah, she awesome does. to see. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, just, I, I was going to transition a little bit, but I was going to yeah. just talk about like another thing that I really 
just admire about you in general and knowing you and both Julia, I like, I really love just watching your relationship. I think it's a phenomenal relationship. You guys have been through ups and downs and everything I would imagine throughout your whole process. And (laughs) how important has it been to have, uh, like someone like her? Oh yeah. Through this entire process. It's incredibly important because I mean, they say like behind every successful man is a, uh, powerful woman, right? Yeah. I mean, you can see her now, especially like in her own independence of what she's succeeded with, with locality and how she's growing, you know, into something else. And she's always evolving and changing. And, um, I mean, she's one that's like, Oh, I I really want to get a new tattoo and I want to do this. And And it's like, Oh yeah, you're always thinking about the next thing. But the biggest thing that Julia did in the process of our growth or my growth in the music industry is that she was always able to take my big harebrained crazy ideas and put them into like linear and go, well, if we want this, we need to do this and this and this and this and this to get that. And if that doesn't work, then we already have this and this and this and this. So let's just add these points so that we get this. So even to the point now where she's she's still like, we'll just kind of go, hey, did you post that here? No. Did you post here? Tag your location. And then you'll make sure that that shows up for this person. So she's like, she's always been very supportive and she's always been very like, like interested in the, like in the business side. And when you said like ups and downs, when I took on the new manager, that basically like fired her role. And Mm. she knew that she couldn't continue in that role for long because she needed more connections in the music industry. But the problem was, is that that manager kind of came in and just railroaded it to the point where I had to fight to get her back in as like a tour manager. And then all of a sudden we were out on the road together again and it was great. And we were able to sort of successfully navigate the bizarre waters of the music industry. Because you wanted to stay together. Yeah. And and they they always, like one thing I've heard is, uh, for a successful relationship, especially if somebody is was doing like what you were doing, yeah. where it was lots of touring and like holy like shit is popping. Right yeah, now. yeah. The the partner, significant other, whether it's the male or the female in the in the uh, in the couple, they always say like you need to either be a cheerleader mm-hmm. or a teammate. And that's that right. means like you need to be on the team, like working together, like yeah. in the in the business mm-hmm. uh, with the artist or whatever it is, yeah. or step back. I don't want any part of it. Yeah, but. I believe in you 100%. Yeah. I will support you every day, yeah. every every minute, basically. That's so right. Was she both? Was she one or the other? Like, what do you? She was way more of a teammate. Okay. Um, in fact, because I would has like, <laughs> often people would be like, "Oh, it must be so romantic." You probably just sing to her every night. I'm like, "What? Like, have you met Julia? No. Like, <laughs> she wouldn't want that at all. And totally. like, like, and she's very real. Like, if I'm like, "Hey, check out this song you just wrote. I feel really good about it." She's like, "Hmm, yeah, that's neat." <laughs> yeah, you could probably do better. Like, she's very honest. And then, but then as it. soon as you come up with a song that you're like, hey, like, you know, here's this one. And she's like, holy crap, you got to do something with that. That's like, that's amazing. That's a really strong song. Then you're like, okay, cool. So it's like, you need both. If you just have somebody going like, yeah, that's amazing. Great. Really great job. Then like, you'll just release crap because you don't have anybody challenging you. Totally. And so she is very much a realist, but also like intuitive on what could work and what might not work. And... I think for such a long period, she was a teammate where she was like, this is our business. We are doing this together. And like what you do out on the stage is your thing. And what I do behind the scenes is my thing. And like, you know, we want to make sure that this all works. And then when sort of the transition took place, then she was sort of like, I don't want to say demoted to cheerleader, but in a way, because it's like, wait, she brought us here. So why is she now standing on the sides unelectively? Like she didn't choose to be there. And so that was a bit of an issue until we sort of re-navigated what the role looked like. And then when I, when we moved to LA and I was doing more of the songwriting, then she just 
was like, okay, cool. I can just like listen to your songs, but I'm not any part of this now. And kind of like shifted gears completely and did what she wanted to do, which I think was really cool that she was able to sort of figure out, okay, now what do I want to do independently? And the interesting thing to me is that her role in locality without speaking into that too much shifted more from being the person that got all the pieces together to being the creative on the side of it, Mm -hmm. which is like, to me, I was like, holy cow, you were very underutilized because I was always the, the one creative. that people thought was creative because I was doing the obvious out front music stuff. Whereas like, she's crazy creative. And the fact that now her skills are being utilized in a really unique and special way that's helping propel a brand. It's like, oh man, like good for you. Like that is awesome. No. And it's interesting though. Like even with that being said, she does seem to come back to her roots because in our podcast with uh, with Kate and Julie, yeah, we should locality, let listeners know like she, oh yeah, Julie and Kate, Kate, and Kate are in Julie earlier episodes. Yes, so that's an that's interesting. Episode. It's a great episode podcast. 12, I listened to it. it episode is, twelve yeah. or thirteen, but yeah, Julia was saying like that. Um, she's kind of like Kate's kind of the one that has like a lot of the ideas and everything like that. Right. And Julia still has that role, like you mentioned yeah. of like, okay, yes, Andrew, like we have this, but yes. this is how we get there kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So she still seems she still to be does. like picking that up, which is, which is interesting to like, see like what roles everybody yeah. plays when you put them into that position. Yeah. If anything, she just added to her like repertoire su- to her superpowers. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, they're, they're already women. So they already have superpowers. Right? I know. They can do more than one thing at once, yeah. which uh, we can't do. Unfortunately, I know uh, <laughs> multitasking. <laughs> multitasking. Oh gosh. Right. Every man's weakness. Um, it's amazing. So with, uh, with regards to like what's happening now, I mean, yeah. you've got a new project that you've picked up, obviously yeah. Julia's sailing with Kate and locality and everything like that. That's right. How are you guys managing that kind of work-life balance between the two of you? How have you had to shift gears to help her success in that? Because obviously the roles change. And still raise a daughter together. Yeah. Yeah. So hers, I mean, it's, it's interesting because her and Kate both have like little ones. And so, well, her and Kate, like we have little ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Respectively. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's, it's interesting. Like my, my work schedule shifts and changes as time goes on. And during the months, it depends on what month we're in. Like last month, I was very much focused on writing. So when London would go to preschool, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, those were days that I could really just like hammer into the studio and write, 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 write. And then knowing that, you know, Mondays is kind of a flex day. And like, you know, if Julia has meetings and stuff, then I'll, you know, assume the role of watching London. And if she doesn't, then maybe we'll just have a family day or maybe I'll get some work done if I have stuff. So we kind of, we have a shared calendar obviously. And we try to like work through those. Um, coming into the summer, I get way busier as far as like being actually absent from the house. So I start touring a lot more. I have festivals, shows that sometimes it takes four to 10 hours to get to. So, you know, I may have to travel and be away more. So Julie is very aware of those scheduling conflicts that could arise and so thank goodness we have great family in town that's willing to hang out with london wonderful um but then it's also aside from just finding childcare, it's like to try and find like family care and self-care to make sure that we're spending time together and that can be as small as like i've got an hour i'm in town are you in town yeah i'm in town let's grab lunch at the fig and then, and then, <laughs> and then other times, thank you. Yeah. And then other times it's like, okay, we need to like schedule a specific getaway. And sometimes it's for Julie and I, and just the two of us are going to get away. Other times it's like, Hey, like we've really missed this time with London. Let's all get away. Or maybe it's, I've been away for like two weeks. I come back and I have a little gap in my calendar and Julia's busy. And it's like, 
hey, are you cool if I just take London to Vancouver? And like just the two of us will go have a little vacation. And so right. it's sort of like figuring out what all those look like. And we are by no means pros at it. We're still like, what the hell are we doing most well, of the time? Well, with your crazy schedules, it's, it's hard. to it's you, you don't ever have it sunk in. It's not no. like a nine to five schedule, right? No, so. it's so random. Yeah. Like so random. Like, like we, yeah, it's totally, yeah, it's bizarre. It's, <laughs> but you do make an effort to prioritize those important Try to. things, right? Yeah, yeah, we do. We do. And, and you know, try to find time with friends and all those kind of things. And you just got to be really intentional, I think, about it. Well, all that's like so personal. I mean, I had a, a friend that told me a quote recently and it's, you, know, you can't have it all, but mm -hmm. you can have what's important. Mm -hmm. And that's so true. Mm -hmm. But you first have to define, you know, what's important. And, yeah. and obviously the things that are important to you are like super clear. That's right. And, you know, it's the thing with the jar. I've probably seen it where it's like you get a jar and then you get a bunch of different size rocks. And oh, sand, yes, right? Sand. And you yeah. you put in the if you put in all the sand, the little crap, you put it all in first, there's no room for the rocks. But if you put in the big things, the things that matter first, Important. And then, then you, you can pebbles. fill the yeah. sand in all the way around it. And it'll that's cool. It'll totally yeah. you know, then you can get more of what you want out of life. So yeah, I mean I'm trying. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if well, we're nailing it, but I mean, like speaking of things that are important, we do we need to get him back to his family soon. Um <laughs> We, we always, you know, sort of wrap things up as we go in a sort of loose way and not yeah. like, Hey, we're cutting this short. So right. see you later. Yeah. Uh, we have a couple of Show you know, questions. Favorite line land the plane. That's actually not my line. That's Rich Roll's line. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's like a <laughs> podcasting line. Oh, well, we're going to call uh, it your line. Cause you're the first person. Yeah, I just we'll, heard that in a podcast we'll and I listened to the other day. I didn't realize it was we'll, somebody else. It wasn't the guy that said it and that I just heard. I think it's a common thing. Like, like that's just one podcast that I love right. that I hear it in quite yeah. often. So, um, well, I've got two questions. So okay. me and then no, 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 you. feel free, okay. man. Go ahead. Um, so one of my first questions is, yeah. Uh, with regards to obviously how the music industry is changing and everything, yeah. you mentioned Spotify earlier. I want to touch a little bit more on, oh, yeah. on that and what you think the differences are between being an artist 20 years ago yeah. and having to pay for studio time. and yeah. Or, I mean, even when you got the opportunity to just start recording on your Mac, mm -hmm. and now it's even crazier. I mean, the, oh, yeah. the stuff that you can actually produce just with your laptop and a microphone yeah. is nuts. just unreal. So well, look at us. Yeah. Like, How do you think? Exactly, right? right? I mean, look at this. This is as low budget is, as it gets. This is but, not like an expensive setup. It looks but it tight, looks but it's not. Cool. Like, right, right. Right? So this is what we can... So as the world's adapting yeah. and these opportunities are becoming... Uh, more available to everybody. And I mean, we're, we're having artists pop on SoundCloud or Spotify and yeah. go straight to consumers basically. That's right. And cut the record label, cut the middleman out completely. Yeah. It's just all about distribution to the consumer. So how do you, how do you think that differentiates from when you, if you were trying to make it in the music industry 20 years ago versus now, yeah. like, do you think that's a, do you think that's a good thing? Do you think it's allowing more artists to pop or do you think that's a negative and like saturating the market? So I think you know, 20 years ago, obviously there was a whole lot more money in the music industry, like way more money. You know, like when a, when a record would really go, it would go platinum or it would go multi-platinum. Now you're lucky if a song, like if a song goes gold, like it's insane. And the metrics are different too, right? Totally. Like the way that you hit those metrics are completely different. That's right. That's okay. right. And so even artists now, like there's 15,000 songs a day that are uploaded to Spotify. 15,000? A day. A day. And so... It's like there's an insane number of artists that are putting stuff out. There was always that many artists probably, but they just didn't have a way to like, you know, create and put it up there on Spotify or whatever that looked like. And there wasn't an online streaming straight to, service. Straight to the listener. That's right. And so the the one thing is I don't know that it, it's definitely saturating, but I don't know that it's a bad thing. The, the only downside to it is like we don't have the 
I don't think that the era of like the massive celebrities that have the longevity will exist anymore. Mm. Like we have the Ed Sheerans and we have Taylor Swift and we have, you know, Justin Bieber sort of, and we have, you know, it's kind of whatever, but it's like back in the day, it's like you would have like Michael Jackson and like you'd have the big bands. Prince. It's like worldwide known that's right now you think people are just going to have their moments and then kind of yeah. fizzle out or what yeah because they like you know prince More would, be like, is always prince would be like i'm gonna put out a new album and everybody's like oh my gosh this is gonna be amazing yeah. and then he'd put out a full album like and the album cycle was like every year and now it's like justin bieber's a great example a couple years back when he put out like one single four weeks later another single four weeks later another single four weeks later another single and we just hammered just the radio music, music, and music. each one went number one and it was number one for about two weeks came off the next one number one two weeks off because nothing's staying up at number one for, for long enough. 40 weeks 50 weeks 60 weeks oh, and nothing's staying up there anymore because it's all new because people are like not committed and invested to that one artist and it's so easily accessible so if you get a song that hits number one at radio people can go and stream it for free on essentially on spotify as many times as they want and they burn it out and they're like okay what's next and so the next thing they want is the thing that sounds like justin bieber if he doesn't have another single they'll go to the next best thing and people can just create those same sounds and the same kind of song and so it sort of does saturate in that way which is kind of depressing. Um, One thing that I hate is that recently Congress passed a bill to pay songwriters more money based on streaming because it hadn't been changed. It was, you basically got 9.1 cents for every album that sold or single that sold. So if this was loving you tonight and it sold on iTunes for a dollar, then the writer's share was 9.1 cents. The master share, you got 70%. So as the master owner, I would get say 70% of the dollar kind of thing. And as a writer, out of that, I got my half of 9.1 cents each time it sold. So when streaming services started, Spotify Spotify pays 0.3 of a cent for each stream. Does that mean per each, does that mean per listen though? Yeah. Like stream? So anytime somebody plays the song. Yeah. Interesting. So So you, you can make way more on one song then do you is that what you mean no i mean you can make way less like if you have a million spins times 0.3 of a cent but like that's if it, not a lot of money it's not a lot no right but if for example like let let me play devil's advocate here for yeah. a second if there is a cap on how many people like let's say the cap on everyone who can buy it for a, a dollar is right. a million people right and you're pay, you're getting paid like the the nine cents or whatever it is on yeah. that. You've got a cap. You're not getting paid every time they listen to it after that. Whereas on Spotify, yeah, you're making point zero whatever of a yeah. cent. But if that's somebody's favorite song and it keeps recurring in their in their playlist every yeah. time they're at the gym or whatever it is, like there's loads of songs that get played yeah. when I'm at the gym because I'm in the middle of a set or something like that. And yeah, I'm like I don't want to stop. <laughs> like I guess I'd have to look at a calculator because it's like if you're making like almost a dollar a song on the iTunes. You know, yep. the way if people were buying the song for $1.29 and say you were making a dollar yeah. and it sold a million times, you'd make a million dollars. Yeah. So in order to make a million dollars on Spotify as a songwriter, not as the master owner, oh, you'd have to like do the you'd have to do the calculation of how many plays that is. Yeah. And it's mm. like millions upon millions upon millions. Not billions, yeah. Right? Because you've got a you're making point three of a cent. So it takes three spins to make one cent, and then you're gonna need however many times that is to make one dollar. And it's a monumentous task. So it's a lot of spins. And does it have to go all the way through from zero to? I have no idea. See, I'm I'm always curious. I'm always curious. I like that that you have that analytical mind, but I don't know. I'm I'm always curious about that because I'm like, okay, well, like, what if, 
what if basically like because if you had enough of a following here's where my mind goes now it's like if you had yeah. enough of a following and you could be like all right today is gonna be loving you tonight day everybody right. take out their phone and i want for five minutes i just want you to play it on repeat just on repeat right repeat repeat, repeat. Uh, okay just Smart give guy. it like can you actually like yeah pump so those people, numbers i mean up, people right? do make money on spotify you can make money on spotify oh, and it's a unique form of getting music out because i have a spotify account and i love the way that i can now ingest money but what i will say about the congress bill passing they are they told all the streaming platforms that they have to pay more to the songwriters because it was it's not so much for the artist because if i put a song on spotify as me and it blows up on spotify now my live shows are going to blow up my merch sales are going to blow up everything's going to blow up sponsorships are going to blow up it's going to be fine but if i co-wrote that song and i'm getting a percentage of the point three of a cent then i'm not really making much nobody knows who i am and so eventually what's going to happen is the big songwriters are going to start saying i'm not writing with you I'm not going to help put these songs out there into the airwaves. I'm going to get a different job because I can't afford to be a songwriter. Mm. And so that's where it becomes. So a lot of the firepower behind the scenes is it's starting to fizzle. 95 out of the top 100 songs every week have co-writers on them. Sorry, what was 90? So 95 out of the top 100 songs that you we're hear. Not, we're not written by the We're not written just by the artist. Oh my goodness. They were written by somebody See, else that, as well. And that's what I actually find interesting. So Still now the that artist that, is probably on it a lot yeah, of, of times. Yeah, of course. Of course they're on it. But now that begs the question that intrigues me. Mm -hmm. Will that be actually a good thing for the music industry where it mm. forces the cream of the crop that are actually writing their own songs? Because now you can't afford to pay songwriters and right. songwriters don't want, can't yeah. afford to actually do that for a living. It does do so that. Now does the cream of the crop rise to the top where you're talking people that are writing their own material yeah. and putting out their own music. Right. And now does that rise to the top? Right. Because Possible. I mean, Russ, like I know this is hip hop, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah, Russ, but yeah. one of my favorite hip hop yeah. artists, I love his stuff. Yeah. He was the first one to go, like there was just an article a few months ago, like he was the first artist to go platinum on his own beats, on yeah. his own, on his own writing mm -hmm. and on his own distribution and production. Yeah. He did it all himself. Sony ATV writer. Yeah. He's repping. Yeah. There you yeah. go. So well, have you met Russ? Though, no, I have not. No, no. Just no. The only, <laughs> I think the only counter to that is just that, you know, yes, the cream will rise to the top and it is sort of a, you know, a competitive thing that way. Yeah. It's just that like if the music industry, I feel like if, if it's been built with the backbone being these co-writers yeah. and these people that actually drive a lot of those larger sales, that could be some of the problem. Yeah. Am I viewing yeah, that? Yeah, no, no, I mean, you're, like, you're right. There's probably I think, could merit to both arguments. Well, right? I, th I think that like, you know, one of my friends again, who, who has written some big songs, he, um, he finds it so weird that you used to go after legacy acts as a writer. You'd be like, Oh my gosh, if I could get in the room with John Mayer, Oh, if I could get in the room with this guy, if I could get in the room, I don't know why I chose John Mayer. He's like, he's a legacy act, but he's not like a radio guy now. Um, but now he goes after like the new up and coming thing because you just don't know. And he just takes risks because the next thing could blow up on Spotify and then it you could don't know. translate. But the, the, the thing though with the Congress issue is that I'm happy that they raised it, but Spotify is going against it and they're trying to get the royalty brought back down. It hasn't changed since like the 1960s. Well, they're, they're a publicly traded company. So like that bill gets passed and it actually works. Like they're talking major shareholder loss now too. Well, the bill did get passed. And but they're, so, they're and going against it now. They're going against it now. And are they to repeat in, the, in the meantime, though, are they having to pay out I think so. artists higher? I think they have to. And that's the way I feel like it should stay because the, the big wigs at Spotify are making bank. They're, and it's yeah, like, it's not going to even hurt them to bring it down and to distribute that not to the people all. that are actually creating the music that their platform exists on. Well, so that's, that's the only problem that I have so with think, Spotify. Do you see the streaming platforms as a new middleman, like in, as opposed to the record labels now? Um, 
Not so much because the the thing that I do love, I mean, playlisting is a thing you can pay for people to help get your songs on playlists. And there's a lot of record labels that have handholds on Spotify. So it's like that kind of backdoor, like, oh, we kind of have something to do with Spotify still. They're not going to miss out on this. But I think the best part about streaming is it just provides easier access for music to more people. Correct. And it's, it's also shifting because there was a moment there where it was like record labels were kind of falling and then the streaming platforms were starting. But in the midst of it was all these American Idol shows. And it was like, hey, judge who you think the best singer is. And it's like, that is so dumb. Because what it did is it just created a group of people. Like I get people when I collaborate with an artist and they open or I open, they'll come up and they're like, oh, you were way better than that artist. And it's like, no, don't say that. It's not a competition. It's not. Like if you, in the CD days, if you had a whole bunch of CDs, you wouldn't just have mine. You would have mine and you would have maybe Andy Grammer's and and like all these other bands. Like you wouldn't just have mine. So it's not a competition. So these singing competitions, the only reason that I feel this way is because I remember watching some of them and then watching dance competitions, which I know nothing about dancing. I'm a terrible dancer. And I would watch them. I'd be like, oh my gosh, that guy can't dance. And then I started thinking, I don't know if that guy can dance. I don't know anything about dance. That's so he danced really well. She danced really well. This is a beautiful show. They and all I dance better think, than I can. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So so that's one nice thing about the streaming platforms is I feel like it is like, you know, you get a playlist and there's a bunch of artists on there that you've never heard. And all of a sudden you're like into them and the judging is stopping. You're not going like, oh my gosh, like I, I love this song by whoever, like Lennon, Stella, and then, you know, I love this song by Maggie Rogers, so I'm going to delete the Lennon, Stella one. I'm only going to listen to Maggie. You can still keep you it. You can have it all. Like, it's all in there, and I think it's per- it's perpetuating, like, a desire to curate your own playlists and find the music that you really like, and it's not being as suggest. gatekeeper by the record labels that are saying, this is the stuff you should like now. It's like, that's, I don't. Well, you know, back, when I like I used to, back when I used to buy CDs, it, you know, I... I during the time when CDs were still a thing, yeah, um, of like very much a thing when you know we had the CD store in Vernon, here, yeah, um, it, it was very much a like, okay, I've got like forty bucks to play yeah. with. What's gonna be the biggest bang for my forty bucks? Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. It was yeah. like, uh, well, I mean, there's like five or six good songs on that. There's like, but this whole record is awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna go with this one. Screw this one. Yeah, and so it's like, but now yeah. you're you're right. You can kind of just like build on it. And yeah, it becomes hard to filter through the noise, and you sometimes end up downloading stuff like without actually reason. Like that album sucked. Yeah, and then your phone gets full of yeah. crap. But yeah. it's like it's interesting to see. So it's it's I see there's positives and there's negatives because it's like I listen to a bunch of playlists of yep. and. But if you ask me if a song comes on, who the artist is, I don't know a lot of the time. I have no idea. And that's a problem for the artist because yeah, then if somebody true. else has a song that sounds like it, then you you go for that song. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're not necessarily following the artist like we used to back in the day where we're like, like I'm a diehard John Mayer fan. Love the guy. Anything he puts out, I'm like, oh, you're a genius. You know, it's so, I love when he changes and goes all of a sudden folk country and then he's coming back he's and like this. He's a gifted musician. That oh, guy. He's, he's crazy. Amazing. And so it's like, I'll follow him forever. But there's, you know, some artists that I'm like, wow, this is really good. Who is that? I don't even know. Yeah. You know, and that's like, that's not a good thing. But, you yeah, know, it's, there's very few, sorry to interrupt you. No, there's very good. few artists these days that are actually truly recognizable. That's right. They're, you know, and I don't know if the record labels and the producers can, to, can actually tweak that a little bit to make it so yeah. that like, Hey, yeah. Okay. Here's Ariana Grande, but we're going to put like 
the production, you know, the filters and the, the you know, yeah. the effects on this that are actually, you know, like people are going to know this is Ariana Grande yeah. within like five seconds. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, back in the day, it used to be a lot easier. You, you could kind of discern yeah. punk was like that too. You'd always, oh, yeah. you'd always know when no effects came on and then yeah. when bad religion came out, like yeah. you knew their sounds and yeah. you just, you could always pick the different ones That's out. Right. So it was all guitar tones and like, but there wasn't yeah. as many either. Right. You're like very much so. Yeah, you're, like, you're right. You're right. Like just even saying no effects, like no effects, green day, MXPX, like Weezer, exactly, Bad Religion. Yeah. It's like, oh, cool. They all played like either Edge Fest or whatever the other one was called, the Vans uh, Warped Tour. Warped Tour, yeah. yeah. Before yeah, Warped like, Tour yeah, sucks, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's, that's, that's the thing, I guess, like different or the sheer volume, like you said, like yeah. now you have this artist, but, and that, that really comes down to, I feel like back to the authenticity thing. I think right. everybody that sounds like that artist is trying to sound like that artist. Yes. You, wonder, you wonder, right? So how do you cut through? And I think that's what you guys asked me originally is like, not that I'm, my goal is not to cut through, but my goal is to be genuine. Your and goal right is now I'm excited about this new sound. Well, the new sound doesn't sound like a lot that's out there. And so it's like, that's why it's so exciting. Yeah. But it doesn't, you know, there's some push back from different people like record labels are like i don't really know what to do with this it's like don't do anything then we're gonna do it yeah because we don't really care we're just gonna like and you have the tools at your disposal now that's right yeah interesting what was your you you've always got one final question i'll, I'll you want to close out with it okay my my next question is pretty quick it's uh what are you currently obsessed with like i'm i'm talking like go completely like out of this world. Like you're using this, you're using this new wax on your Ford flex and you're just like, Oh man, this is just gorgeous. Or, Do you know this about me as far as like cleaning products? I'm like obsessed with oh, cleaning are you? products. I oh my know, gosh. That, yeah. I had no, That's I had no so idea. Fun. That I love so cleaning everything. Somebody asked me the other day, what would you do if you weren't a musician? I was like, I would clean houses or cars. Really? Yeah. Like, awesome. What is what? I was like, Oh, I love it. Like I love cleaning. I love like I Windex all my countertops. I love it. Um, but no, I do not have a new wax for my Ford Flex. I actually <laughs> just ran out of one product that I liked using on the interior. Yeah, and now um, I'm looking for that. I bought one. from a gas station. Remember the guy in Calgary, like a couple years ago, that tied himself to all those balloons and flew up into the air? Do you guys remember this? It was over like Stampede. No. It was like a really bad publicity stunt. Like he almost died, and then he got like, "Well, you don't say." <laughs> yeah, like he tied so many balloons to him, and like literally just floated up into the air. <laughs> and nobody. And it was like, and he was. Trying How to did we not know this? You gotta look it up. It's so bizarre. Man. And like they had to like rescue him and stuff, and then like I think he got fined a bunch of money. And, but <laughs> oh, on top of the fact, that but I pulled into this gas station in Banff, and this guy comes up and he goes, "Hey, you hear about? Yeah. Well, this is his company. Do you want to buy these cleaning products?" I'm like, "I sure do." Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> <laughs> and my, I had a guitar player in the car and he's like, you are ridiculous. You literally just spent $60 on products that you don't even know if they work. I'm like, they work. He showed me, he gave me a demo <laughs> and he's That's like, whatever. Awesome. He gave you the QVC demo. Yeah. yeah. So I do, I do love cleaning products. I would say though that right now, um, gosh, my obsession right now. Okay, my, my negative obsession is my grass. I really want it to grow and it looks like crap. So that's my negative obsession. Verdant's so if anybody had a problem the last ooh, if anybody knows how to make my grass look good, I'm into that. My positive obsession um, outside of music, aside from like family, which we've talked about, um, I have a really old motorbike and it's like, super cool. But it like has never fully worked. Yeah. And right now, my friend uh, who owns SC Carts, he's been helping me out with it to try and get this thing like working. 
and um, it's starting to come to life and I just got collector's plates for it. And so I think that's like my new obsession where I'm like, I can't wait to get that thing out on the road. You ride? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's awesome. Back in the day when you used to be able to get, um, you used to be able to get your motorcycle license. So it worked like it was a graduated progress, but basically you got your learner's license for your car and then you could get a learner's license for a motorbike. But then 14 days later, you could get a novice license for the motorbike, which basically meant you could drive wherever you wanted, just not at night or with a passenger. So total freedom when you're 16. Yeah. So I had like my learners on my car and then my novice license on my motorbike. So I would just go anywhere I wanted as long as I was home before dark yeah, and I just didn't take that, anybody on it. Limit, yeah. So then I drove my motorbike down to take my road test on the car and I sped through a school zone accidentally and failed the test. But then I got back on my motorbike and I drove it home and my mom's like, this has to change. This is the stupidest. Like, <laughs> And now it has changed because of stupid rules like that where oh I literally was like, oh, I just failed my driver's test. See up. <laughs> I could drive home. <laughs> so dumb. Yeah, that wasn't like well thought through no, at all. not at all. So yes, yeah, so I've ridden motorbikes since I was 16. We'll have, to, we'll have to ride this summer then. My bike is like a lawnmower with two wheels. Pardon me? My motorbike now is like a lawnmower with two wheels. So I don't know. We can ride together, but I'm I stop like, at 250, so it's not that crazy. Okay, I'll just be a little behind you. If I can't get up a hill, I can just throw a rope and you can just tell me of it. <laughs> You'll just have to do the old like shoulder look yeah. every now and we'll again. Have to, we'll have to throw that on the internet oh, yeah. if we do that. Totally. <laughs> That'd be good. It's like a so carpool funny. karaoke, but on the motorbike. What's that? What's that? Um, what do they call it like in the rodeo where they like... Oh, like a lasso? La- lasso, lasso, that's what it is. <laughs> Andrew, lasso me. Oh, man. <laughs> I would need that, man. This is like... It's like a 90cc. It's not a... Oh, geez, I don't know. Eh? Like, yeah, it's very small. So it's just rolling around town then or what? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just to putz around. It'll be fun. I love it. But I'll find a new wax for that and then we'll talk yes, about it. Yes. That's a good idea. <laughs> Combine passions. <laughs> right? You have BCAA on speed dial just yes, in case. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or hop on the back of his. But as long as we don't attach balloons to ourselves. Right? See? Oh, <laughs> well, that might help. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, don't, I don't know if I like where this is going, right? guys. <laughs> I don't know if I like where this is going. <laughs> All right, we'll switch it, switch it up. peel then. you guys off the pavement. <laughs> right? Oh, uh, okay, so I gear this question always towards like whatever, um, you know, kind of profession that you're in. Obviously, yeah. you're here for a certain reason. Um, you've got someone coming out of high school that wants to be a musician. Yeah. And uh, maybe they've got some pressure at home, you know, go to college or whatever it is. They just kind of don't know what to do. They ha- don't have a mentor such as yourself where it's like, okay, you, you need to be yourself. You need yeah. to go uh, do this, do this, do this. They don't have a mentor and they're kind of just stuck in their own head about like, right. how do I do this? And not just how do I do this, but how do I like build the confidence to do this? What advice do you have for someone like that? I would say refine the craft, like, and love the craft. Like don't compare your work in progress to somebody's finished product. Instead, create your own finished products and continue like Ed Sheeran made a really good comment. He was like, in the songwriting world, um, songwriting is sort of like old disgusting taps in the UK where when you first turn them on, it's like mud and gross stuff comes out. But as you continue to let the water run through, it starts to get clear. And that's his practice in that he you know, he's like, I write every day. And that's Ed Sheeran. He doesn't need to write every day. He doesn't need to write anymore. Like he's a genius, but he's also like, that's how much he loves the craft of writing. And if you are not passionate and excited about the craft of creating, then no amount of like nice dinners or chart positions or songs on the radio are going to ever bring you that happiness. So you need to like, you need to find, and I, I just sort of assume that this person wants to write songs. Right. If you're not a songwriter and you want to be an artist, then an artist is somebody who, if successful, is given 
an undeniable platform to like speak and communicate something new to the world and people will believe them. So figure out what that is and let that be your driving passion. So what I'm trying to say is that the, the goal of like, Oh, I want to put songs out or I want to do this, or I want to sing for a living. It's like, those can't, those can be part of the goal, but they can't be the goal. Like there has to be more behind it. Otherwise you'll end up doing drugs and just like sad and depressed and not another corner in LA that people don't like. Right. right? It's like, it's like you just will never be satisfied. Whereas if you enjoy the creative process of the songwriting or the skill it takes to become a really talented singer and you're willing to like put in that time because you love the way that your voice is developing and you have something that you want to say to the world, then like it doesn't matter what level of success you get to because you love the, the, the getting there. You love that whole process. And so you'll always be satisfied because if you're on the top of the charts, that's not what satisfies you. That's a bonus. But writing the next song is what satisfies you, the creative process of getting there. Then that's what I would say to them. And then as far as like if the family and friends are like, oh no, you got to go to school. You got to go to school. Like if they're paying for you to go to school, go to school and keep writing like and get a job. Hey, you don't keep have writing. to stop because something no. else is going on, right? No, no, exactly. I think like as you refine and, and develop that skill, it's like, it doesn't take 365 days a year to do only that. Like you'll get burnt out and you'll have nothing to write about. So go and live your life and continue to like dig into that skill that you want to be the best at and become the best at it. And as soon as you start writing songs, like the music industry, that's one thing, 15,000 songs a day on Spotify, it doesn't matter. It's still the songs. At the end of the day, it's the best song gets to the top. Not, I mean, I guess not always. There's probably some songs that are buried a little that are really great. But it's like if you if you work harder than everybody else and you write more songs than everybody else, then you have a better chance of everyone else to get out there and have people hear you. Very interesting. Dude, I love, I that, love that. I, I love, love that. the perspective of just, you know, seeing something a little bit deeper mm. in there, not just about, you know, don't pay attention to the metric, don't pay attention to all the vanity markers, yeah. you know, pay attention to, you know, how is this fulfilling me and let that bleed out first. Right. Right. Well, that's what, that's what people will, that's what people will buy. You know what I mean? And that's what people will be interested in. They won't like, oh, cool. It's another person that looks really pretty on the front cover of this album that now has like, a, like an eating disorder or a challenge because they feel so like the public just hates them and they're shaming them, you know, or like a guy who thinks like, I've got to write edgier and be edgier and do crazier, edgier things. And then they end up addicted to something and they kill themselves. Like, it's like, it's like none of that is going to work. <laughs> like write the real stuff down at the base level and then get that out there. And then if it's something that the world needs to hear, they'll hear it. Oh, Very love, interesting. I, I learned so much about like the music industry today, <laughs> but, just, but just like musicians and just like the thought of, you know, because you're not just a musician, you're, you're a songwriter. I've learned kind of the difference between like right. songwriting and an artist <clears throat> and whatever, right. but also just the, someone that's actually taken it because, you know, everyone and their dog knows someone that knows how to play an instrument or right. sing well. It's like, oh, if you heard that person sing, it's like, no. And it's like, cause they didn't yeah. know how to market it. So it's right. really cool to hear someone that's like as real as you are, uh, go far into something like that. And it's, Thank it's you. actually been really refreshing to hear. So oh, well, I thanks. appreciate you know, that, man. The arts are a beautiful thing. There's something that's so fascinating as far as a business model, because in the arts, you can either take them, like you can just keep them and it's, it's cooking, it's, art, like visual art. It's, you know, if you're a lawyer, you can't really just be like a lawyer for fun, like as a hobby, like at home. And then also have the chance to like make some real dollars by defending things or making a big change in the world because you do something that's really positive and life-giving. Whereas in the arts, it's like, 
you can just be a guy that sits at home and plays his guitar and you find real value in that. And you're like, oh, I feel good. I love sitting at home playing my guitar. I love going to my regular job, but then I love coming home playing guitar and I love playing guitar around the campfire. And there's other people that are like, I love that I can take this hobby and translate it to playing in front of 20,000 people a night. So it's like, it's a, it's so cool, but it's also like, you just got to get to the the bones of it, of why you want it. Yeah. yeah. I love that, man. Cool guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. And, uh, Andrew, I, I don't have any more words. I think that was, I think that was incredible. So Perfect. thank you so much for your, your time. And, uh, I really hope you guys enjoy this podcast and, uh, let us know what you guys think on social media, wherever you guys want. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, yeah. anywhere. And thanks for joining us in our brand new studio. That's it's right. amazing. This is only a few weeks old, so yeah. it's really exciting. It's yeah. great. See, I'm going to wear less clothes.